the escapism, right? That not being aware of it and then not wanting to face it, those are basic survival mechanisms from your body. Your body's saying it takes energy to face these things. If you use energy, you might not have enough energy later. You're lazy, right? And it feels like there's not enough energy because there probably isn't because your metabolism doesn't work very well because you're eating the wrong stuff because you're out of shape, et cetera, et cetera. So it makes doing the awareness work feel as hard as going to the gym, which is why we don't do it. I'm Dave Asprey, and this is the Lifestylist Podcast. This here is Luke's story coming at you from lukestory.com. Today's guest is none other than Dave Asprey back for his third appearance. Show notes and links for this one are located at lukestory.com slash Asprey. A true pioneer of the biohacking movement, Dave's devoted his life to elevating human performance using the latest scientific research combined with ancient healing traditions. His mission here today and in his life is to share with the world the latest discoveries in health and wellness to help you break through mental and physical barriers to accomplish the unimaginable, to be superhuman. And based on all the stuff he gets into, he's probably going to be the one to do it. Now, it's been a couple years since Dave and I dropped in, so it was fun to catch up on the latest and greatest in the world of biohacking. But since we've already done two episodes on that topic, and God knows I've done many more, I wanted to stray a bit here and get into some spicier stuff this time. And as you might know, Dave does a ton of podcast appearances, but I assure you, this is not your run-of-the-mill Dave Asprey interview. Here's a little taste of some of the mischief we get into on this episode. Dave's move to Austin on the heels of his recent divorce, the perils of living on an island in Canada during a three-year period of tyranny, his unique perspective on experimental vaccines, how he managed to get his contrarian info out despite censorship and warnings from the government, the rarely discussed and unglamorous challenges of having your own farm, how a vegan diet wrecked his health and his teeth and why he doesn't recommend it. We also discussed the ethics of eating meat and the horrors of factory farming, both of animals and plants, and the ancient soul contracts between humans and the animals we eat, the backlash he gets from internet trolls when he debunks the calories in, calories out theory and why that won't help you lose weight, and his thoughts on why so many fitness crazes like cardio are a waste of time. And we, of course, spend some time exploring his new book, Smarter Not Harder, which is essentially about embracing laziness as a way to cultivate more energy. So I was definitely on board with that. And we get into some really cool stuff like electrical stimulation and neurofeedback for enhanced brain function and why spirituality and emotional healing is critical to overall wellness and dealing with self-obsession and escapism by biohacking. We also got his current thoughts on EMF and what to do about it. And then we get into some of the deep cuts in the smart drug realm, discussing things like phenibit, modafinil, deprinil, and even microdosing psychedelics. And Dave shares why he's no longer repping Bulletproof, the company he founded. And finally, the nitty-gritty on moldy coffee and why he infused trace minerals into his new danger coffee to make it even more potent. And by the way, he brought me a couple bags of this stuff, and uh, no joke, it's pretty incredible. And if you want to check out the danger coffee for yourself with a 10% discount, Go to dangercoffee.com slash Luke and use the code Luke. This one, my friends, was a wild ride. So strap in and hang on as we welcome Dave Asprey back to the Lifestylist podcast. Uh, Dave Asprey, here we are for our third conversation on this show. Welcome back, dude. I'm happy to be back this time in person in Austin. That's yeah, cool. the first one we did was on Zoom, which was 
common when I started out and I was living in LA because I didn't have the clout to get anyone to actually come over at that time. And then we did one in London. We were both speaking at a conference there. And then I found out you moved to Austin. Makes it a lot easier, doesn't it? Yeah, and I'm stoked. It's one thing I love about living here is I get to actually sit with people in real life and give them a hug and breathe their non-masked air and uh, (laughs) and have a good podcast. I'm projecting my microbiome right now for you. (laughs) Good. It's probably very healthy. <laughs> it should be at this point anyway. Uh, so what, what uh, prompted the move here? Uh, well, let's see. There's this weird nutrient called sunshine that is available in Texas that is not available in Canada. Um, there's another weird element available in Texas that's not available in Canada uh, called vitamin F. You know about that one? Vitamin freedom? Yeah. It's so weird. I hear that that is uh, that's a non-negotiable nutrient. Things got a little weird up there. Um, but you know, it was still manageable. The big thing though is for me to to show up the way I like to show up, just even for my family and in the world, it's nice to have community. And when you live on a small farm in the middle of nowhere, there just aren't enough people. And so I just needed to be around a vibrant community with sunshine and be in the middle of the country because I fly around, I speak a lot of events and I'm just working on making biohacking bigger and bigger. So it just felt like the right place. Uh, This is a good central location. It took me a minute to figure that out, that it's not that hard to go to Florida, for example. When you live in LA, going to Florida is like going to Bali. It's so far away. And I I have enjoyed the the accessibility, you know, here, which is, I'm just, I've always lived on the, uh, well, for the most of my life on the West Coast, you know, so I forgot about that. Um, But the community piece is really, really something I'd like to tap into because I think, when the past three years happened, whatever we want to call it, I have a lot of names for it. None of them fit the official names. Um, but I, I know a lot of people want to go live off grid and homestead and live in the middle of nowhere. And and I've kind of had that, not necessarily to be off grid, but just to live remotely and not have neighbors. But then I think, I've done who that. am I going to hang out I, with? I did that for 12 years. I built an organic farm that wasn't a farm when we moved to the land. We have our water catchment, uh, 25 pigs, 25 sheep, three cows, a bunch of chickens, uh, you know, three or four acres of plants growing that you can eat some times of the year. Like all of that, you know, the separate farm building and tractors, like the stuff that people dream of. The reality is that it is a full-time job and then some. 90% of small farmers have day jobs. And let me tell you, running a 30-acre farm, even though much less than 30 acres is in production, is a full-time job. So if I didn't do what I do in the world with the biohacking conference and with Danger Coffee and all the stuff we've done with Bulletproof, I couldn't have afforded to have a farm manager do it. And there's no way I could have been the kind of entrepreneur I am and run a small farm. But the secret to those types of environments, it's actually having a community around you. So there was a community where I was in Canada and actually really nice people. And so... Everyone knows who has this kind of tractor and like we all help each other. And <laughs> like that's really important. For me though, I am the leader of the biohacking movement. There were no biohackers up there. Like, like the, the kind of evolutionary work that I'm doing in the world, that's not what we do up there in remote parts of Canada. Yeah, you were on Vancouver Island? Vancouver Island. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, we might you know, talk about the eagles and, you know, <laughs> With the salmon, the How are sa- your hands salmon and hockey, right? Yeah, it, it was just—it's not my speed. Yeah, uh, so this is more my speed. Do, does your uh, uh, your ex-wife and your kids still live there? 
Yeah. Yeah. My former wife is there and we did a conscious uncoupling. We're, we're still good friends. We're co-parents. It wasn't like anyone cheated on anyone. There was a big fight and all that stuff. But sometimes, you know, when a relationship has played itself to where it needed to go, it, it's time. And so we both agreed. And it, it was actually very, a very peaceful uh, situation. And yeah, they're up there. It's great. You know, kids have clean air and clean food yeah. and uh, good schools. And so we'll, we'll see where they end up after they graduate. That's up to them. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can say as a kid who grew up just running wild in, in the woods, it's a good way to grow up. Yeah, it's very rare yeah. these days. I don't know how they're going to yeah. fare because it can, if a lot of their <laughs> a lot of their friends you haven't seen a smiling face in two or three years because they had extremely crazy mask laws in Canada um, that made Fidel Castro look like the father of the leader of Canada. Oh, wait. He actually was. <laughs> uh, so so you know, that's a bad example. Um, oh, that's good. But it was a little bit weird. Um, but on our property, it wasn't a big deal because, well, we forgot our masks and we're on a farm. The, the problem is, though, if most of your peers are highly anxious, highly social media addicted with cherry vapes, and, and you're like, why are you afraid? It's it's just a bug. <laughs> like the, the gap can right, be really big. Right. But so far, I, both of my kids have friends, uh, lots of friends, and they just seem like at peace as much as you can be as a teen. So I'm I'm super proud of them. And right on. Um, yeah. W- watching the situation in Canada, and I've done so many podcasts, kind of blowing the whistle on all of these things. And I'm sure myself and everyone else are sick of hearing it, but observing the way of life interruption in Canada over the past three years is terrifying. I mean, anyone that, and I, you know, I've, I've been there a few times. It seems like a great country with lovely people. So when I say like, wow, ouch, Canada, I don't mean like Canada bad. I just mean the people running it seem to be extremely tyrannical. Oh, the people running it are completely out of touch. Uh, in fact, I would say that they've kind of lost their leadership of the country. I don't know anyone who really likes uh, what's going on. They just tried to to take everyone's guns and that got shut down by the population, just like the other tyranny got shut down by you know the trucker thing. Having lived there and watching the way it was portrayed in the media versus the way it actually came down, there was a lot of real angry people like we've had enough because the thing about Canada is Canadians are really nice, but they're also really tough. Like there's harsh winters in Canada. And so they're polite and they're kind and they're good to be around and they're neighborly. And the first thing I noticed when I moved to Canada a dozen years ago, was people you don't know, when they ask you how you're doing, they actually care. Like, it's so weird. They listen for the answer. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, really? Okay. It's, like, they want to know. And, and they, like, how can I help that spirit? So I really, I, I appreciate Canada in many different ways. And I was finding it increasingly difficult to, to live my life and to do the kind of travel that I do. Because every time I came to what used to be a peaceful border, it's now militarized in both directions. Like, I just wanted to go home. Right? And, and it was taking me an extra 24 hours of travel just to deal with new oh, bureaucracy. I'm like, you know what, guys, we can all chill here. Uh, but I, I think Canada has a lot going for it and will for the next 100 years because you think they have more land, <laughs> they have more water, they have more clean air, more food, more gold, more oil, more natural gas, more timber than most countries. Wow, it seems like kind of a nice country to have a passport in, right? That was the only reason yeah. I moved there, so my kids could could have access to a beautiful country. Yeah, um, but uh, things will probably change the next election if the next election is allowed to happen. Yeah, i I like to think <laughs> I like yeah I like to think that these things are cyclical. You know, it's kind of it's even though I was ready to leave California, I think anyway, because I just wanted to live with more space essentially, yeah. but. 
having lived through a few decades in different places in California, I've noticed the cyclical nation, uh, nature of it, right? Like when I moved to Hollywood in 1989, I mean, it was a shithole. It was just gang activity everywhere, dealers on the street, prostitutes on the street. I mean, it was really in a downturn. And then kind of like New York City around the same time. And then it started coming up, you know, the, it, it got, got safer, nice. got yeah. safer and cleaner and cool and more sort of conscious people started moving there, a great community formed. And then when this thing happened, it just went like totally haywire. And the whole state is being, I don't know if it's even being run, it's just being run into the ground. And it's such a beautiful, special place with such incredible people. But I think, you know, in 10 years or however long it takes, there'll be a rebirth of California and a rebirth of Canada and all these places that have been kind of ruined by bad leadership. There's kind of a, a sine wave that all life does, it, it, even at like the micro brain wave levels to the monthly, to the annual, to like the 100-year cycles. And I think societies and towns do this as well. Uh, and right now, um, Santa Monica, where I opened the world's first biohacking lab, Upgrade Labs, and we're franchising those everywhere, but that's the birthplace of it. And... Right now, a lot of that city looks like the set from The Walking Dead. I, I, I mean, like the amount of homeless and people who are on drugs and mentally unwell and need treatment, uh, it, it's not okay. And for the amount of taxes people pay there, you should expect like a manicured park for the entire state because that's what you're paying for. And like, like someone's taking that money and I don't know what they're doing with it, but it's not good. Yeah, when I, um, I after I left, you know, I really... I don't know. I just felt complete. I mean, I was in Hollywood 32 years. Yeah. I mean, that if that doesn't complete you, I don't know what will. But when I came back for your biohacking um, conference, the last one in Beverly Hills, which was fantastic, by the way, per usual. Oh, man, quick plug. Biohackingconference.com, June, 4,000 people. Biggest conference ever in Orlando. In Orlando. Yeah. Cool. I like, I, I like Orlando better. <laughs> but I went to LA. I was like, God, this feels weird. I just haven't been back here. I haven't felt the need to come back here. But I really wanted to attend the conference. And uh, you know, I'm glad I did. But I flew into LAX, got in a car and was going up to 405, just kind of looking at the encampments and the graffiti and just kind of the degradation of the city. And then I saw one of those road signs where it, it states who donated the, the cleaning up of that portion of freeway, right? It'll be the Elk Club or whatever. And it said, this portion of freeway was uh, maintained by the Los Angeles... Uh, Satanist aside. No, 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 no. No, I'm sorry. It wasn't no. Satanist. No, it said the Los Angeles Atheist Society, you know? And oh I was my like, God. This is what atheism gets you, <laughs> in my belief, at least. <laughs> anyway, enough enough ragging on all that. Um, I, I'm curious, and there's a bunch of stuff I want to get into in your book. I, I did, I have the galley copy, and so I did a, you know, a speed read of it, and it's there's a lot of really good stuff in there that I want to share and encourage people to, of course, get it. Um, but I've been sort of watching people in our field, people that have podcasts and do independent media throughout the past three years. And it's been interesting to see those that have been outspoken about their opposition to the, the official narrative on all of this. And I was curious to kind of see how you were going to unfold with it, because I, I think you're a really bright guy. I've known you for a few years. Like you understand biology pretty damn well. Um, and then I was, I was pleased to see that, that you seem to have found a way to kind of state your opinion on things, but it seems like you've been able to do so without being unpersoned by the big tech powers that be in social media. Did you experience censorship or did you oh. have to temper your message to kind of... I, I got government warning letters, had to pull down the... Really? Post. Oh yeah. I did a post the second week of the pandemic saying, hey guys, here's IL-6, interleukin-6. This is the inflammatory cytokine that goes crazy with any viral infection. Here's a list of 40 supplements 
all natural that reduce IL-6. I know because I've had toxic mold and I've had to deal with excessive cytokines in my own biology for years. And I've helped, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of people figure out how to do this. So um, then they, I got a warning letter about the post and had to take it down. Like a like a, a letter in the mail, but yeah, or an email. Or, yeah, I think that I actually did, they probably FedExed it or something. I don't know. They reached out to wow. my team. See, right. you have a much bigger reach. Mm-hmm. To me, they just they just you know will shadow ban me or something. Yeah, you know? oh, no, I got that too. Uh, but what's interesting, they didn't take my accounts down because here's the deal: I will fight to the death for your right to inject yourself with stupid shit. Like I and I, this might be triggering for you because I know you have history with addiction. I think it's the only ethical and moral. Approach is to make sure that people have the right to purchase what they want to put into their own bodies because you own your body. So you have to have the right to do things that are harmful to yourself in order to have the right to do things that are good for yourself. Like you, you can't outsource that to someone else. And so my take on the whole situation was there might be a case for you to work with your medical professional and to choose whatever treatment it is being marketed right now for any condition on, uh, in the world. And in fact, the case is you should always do that. <laughs> and it's just not the government's job to force you to take their solution for a problem when you, you can't do that. So what I did is I thought, well, I actually believe that the tetanus vaccine probably helped to save my life. I actually got tetanus, like the kind where it'll kill you within 24 hours from stepping on a rusty nail on a farm. That's the other part of farm life that I talked about. <laughs> Probably should have kept my tetanus up to date, but tetanus comes with three other things. So I, I, they had to fly in immunoglobulins to, to save me, and I got my tetanus booster without all the other crap in it that I didn't want. And, you know, I don't regret it. I think I'm okay. The safety profile on that's reasonably high. Now, there are people who tell me I am going to hell because I did that and now I'm microchipped and aliens are you know, <laughs> rectal probing me or something. I don't know. So <laughs> Your thoughts are being monitored now. Right. <laughs> so here's what I came up with during, during that last three years. I said, look, um, some of my friends will let you stick anything in them with no standards. And other friends will never let you stick anything in them no matter what. And neither one of those feels authentic to my true self. Right, so in order to really you know, be who I am in the world, I decided that I was going to come out of the closet as being vicarious. It's vaccine industry curious, which means you know you have to allow me to have my own identity because to do anything other than that clearly is an act of oppression. Um, so this is my new identity. So you know, my I haven't figured out my pronouns yet, but something like you know, fuck off. Uh, I, I'm not sure. But, but whatever they are. The, the bottom that, line, I like that. That's my yeah. favorite yet, actually. <laughs> but yeah, I'm vicarious. I don't think all vaccines are bad. I've had before the pandemic, I had someone creating mRNA vaccines for anti-aging on my show to talk about this. So even that specific technology isn't necessarily good or bad. It's a technology. A shovel is bad if you use it to poke the eyes out of puppies. And a shovel is not bad if you used it to dig a hole to plant something. So don't blame whatever's in the needle. Don't blame the needle. You blame who used it, who put stuff in it, and what they did with it. So I'm completely agnostic about the stuff. Now, did my medical care team, including me, who's the leader of my medical care team, did we agree with other people's opinions? Probably not. But everyone has a right. And if I was 90 years old and at high risk, would I have maybe considered it in the first year before we had data from the world's largest uh, uh, trial? 
um, maybe I would have said it made sense, right? And I, and I support everyone who got it because they thought it made sense. And I support everyone who's very angry that they got it when they knew it didn't make sense because they had to eat. That was a crime against humanity. And one of two things will happen. Either 25 years from now, they will write that it was a crime against humanity or they'll write how it saved the world. And I have the books written by both sides from the original first time they had mass-forced vaccines. And um, these are actually out there. And it turns out something very similar happened. There was a large group of people who were like, this isn't going to work. And they didn't do it. And then they were forced to. And like, we actually repeated the pattern we did now in whenever the smallpox vaccine uh, happened. So there's a business model behind vaccines. And that one got me really, really targeted. Um, this is, it's, it's kind of cool. One of my big claims to fame uh, is that I really, really wanted to be in Quack Watch. Uh, which is a website. It, it's run by this angry dude. And every doctor who's ever changed the world, like my most favorite people, the best healers ever, they oh, all God. get an honorable mention on this site. Is, is Mercola like the, oh, yeah, the he's, granddaddy he's of it? Right? But the thing is, I'm not a doctor, so I don't really qualify to be in Quack right. Watch. But this is on my 20-year career goal. So I finally got in there. Congratulations. Right? Which was awesome. Thank you, Stephen Barrett. You're a, you're a gem of a man for giving me a list of great doctors. And so... There's that, but then there's a new factcheck.org, which is like the new version of that. I got a listing on there because I read about the pandemic business model where every four years, um, a government, usually backed by a certain couple, like one guy who's done trillions of dollars this way, whose name starts with F. Uh, anyway, uh, every four years, it seems like they come up with something that has a 5 or 10% death rate. They scare everyone. They spend a few billion dollars that they mandate other countries spend buying things like Tamiflu, if you remember that. Mm -hmm. Then they quietly announced two years later that the actual death rate was 165th of the first one. And, 165th? And that, yeah, and that was an average across the previous five <laughs> pandemics. So I'm like, guys, my prediction is 165th because this happens every four years like clockworks. And every time, people on the inside make billions of dollars. Yeah, that one kind of... Got a headline, you know, businessman, you know, uh, does misinformation about blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, man, I'm winning. I got fact check and quack watch. Wow. I am a rock star amongst rock stars. Wow. If you can get it, it's like winning a double Emmy for doing shit that matters in the world. So thank yeah. you, fact check. Thank you, quack watch. I mean, I think it's, you know, everyone always thinks they're on the right side of history, right? But I, I, I really think with this situation that uh, that you and many others are, you know, and I also like your perspective of do whatever you want, just yeah. don't tell I, me what to yeah. do. Like that, that's, that's, that's that's the, the only side of history. The only side of history is I didn't force other people to do stuff they didn't want to do. Yeah. That means I can't force you to eat a healthy diet, right? And I absolutely support your right to live on Cheetos and Diet Coke and see what happens. Right, and and that's how it works. And if you do anything to force another person to speak something they don't want to speak or to do something they don't want to do, you are committing an act of evil. You just don't do that. That's how the world works. And so, if you want to be on the right side of history, you support the right of people to disagree with you. You know, like the ACLU from twenty five years ago. Right now, though, <laughs> they're against free speech. It's really weird. <laughs> we live in upside down world. I can't explain it, but I just it's, I stick to those values, and yeah. I always have since my first blog post. Like, hey, here's knowledge. Maybe I'm wrong, right? Here's my evidence. Here's how easy it is to try it for yourself. And the good news is that despite all of the, the distractions in the media, we've done so much good science in the last 20 years in the field of biohacking. The fact that we have all these wearable devices now, uh, this is a, something I could only dream of 
uh, way back before I started uh, Bulletproof in the original blog, before I started my podcast, I was CTO and co-founder of a company called Basis. We were the first company to get heart rate from the wrist, the way your Apple Watch does. It's very common now, but we, like, we did it. And ended up selling that company to Intel for like $100 million and they shut it down and all whatever big companies, buying small companies do that. But I was thinking, what would happen when we had heart rate data in real time from 100 million people? We're going to find all these cool patterns in society. We're going to learn all these things. And so as the cost and availability of all these sensors changed, the world of biohacking changed. Because now things that people would argue about, well, the full moon doesn't affect people. I'm like, oh yeah? <laughs> oh my God. Uh, it does. That's funny you bring that up because I was talking to someone a couple of days ago because I, I never really believed in it. It totally right? does. And then living with a very intuitive wife um, who's tapped into that kind of thing. Is it you cool know? to outsource your being intuitive? It, yeah, it helps. <laughs> I don't have to work as hard, but I'd have a bad night's sleep and she'd go, well, honey, it was a full moon. I'm yeah. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then over time, I started seeing, wait, I'm going to check. And I look on the app and I'm like, holy shit, it was a full moon last night. Always the craziest dreams and, and interrupted sleep. Like I can sleep, just not continuously. There's mm-hmm. like, wake up, fall back, sleep, wake up. And the other night, I was walking the dog at night and we had a full moon. And I was like, I don't want to nocebo or placebo myself, but I'm just noticing there's a full moon. But I'm going to do all my sleep protocols hardcore tonight, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to really, really stick to the plan and, and do everything I can to get you know, great sleep. And like you said, tracking, right? The, the aura ring, I mean, things like that are incredible because you can gamify it and kind of go up, cheat, you know, uh, compete with yourself, right? So I did all the things right. And sure enough, craziest, almost nightmarish dreams all night, a bunch of different ones, slept poorly. There's definitely something to that. But yeah, but you also had porn that night. <laughs> no, I didn't, thankfully. <laughs> thankfully, I would have really had bad dreams if I did that. <laughs> I would have had an entirely different kind of hangover in the morning. Uh, exactly. All right, y'all. We thrived right on through 2022, perhaps the weirdest year to date. And after the end of year work obligations and holiday family fun, it's easy to start the new year stressed, worn out, and lacking motivation which is definitely not the way we want to start the new year. So if you're feeling like you need a holiday from the holidays, I have a perfect solution. Do yourself a favor and start taking magnesium breakthrough every night before you go to bed. I do this daily and I don't plan on stopping ever. Why is that? Well, because stress depletes your magnesium levels and magnesium is critical for getting deep and restorative sleep. And the reason Magnesium Breakthrough is so effective is that it's the only organic full-spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium all in each pill. And trust me, when you get all seven critical forms of magnesium, that's when the magic happens. Pretty much every function in your body gets upgraded from your sleep to your brain, from stress to pain, and even inflammation. And even better, by making Magnesium Breakthrough part of your daily routine, You're going to wake up fully rested, recharged, and ready to crush all of your New Year's resolutions. So for an exclusive offer for Lifestylist listeners, go to magbreakthrough.com slash Luke. And in addition to the 10% discount you'll get by using the promo code Luke10, you will unlock a special gift with purchase for a limited time only. So again, go to magbreakthrough.com slash Luke and get your gift. what happens we all notice these things and we think maybe it's just me i'm probably crazy 
because that's not supposed to happen because I learned somehow that only crazy people think the moon does something. But then if you talk to practitioners, what's called clinical evidence, which is just as valid as double-blind, placebo-controlled stuff like that, um, it's just a different form of evidence. So if you talk to practitioners, this is police officers and emergency room doctors. You ask them, does the full moon change things? And they'll universally go, oh my God, yeah, every full moon we have to staff up. And like that's when all the crazies come out. They know it because they do the work. And same thing in medical practice. Doctors know what's going on because they see patients all day long and they know what works and what doesn't work long before there's a trial. So you can ask them and they know it. And the drug companies hate that because they only want to be able to say that what they have works. So they try to denigrate clinical evidence. What I've learned as a leader in the anti-aging movement is that you ask the most successful anti-aging doctors what works and they're always years ahead. And you ask the biohackers like me what works, like you. We're going to be ahead of the curve and there's a lot of people who believe it can't work but the idea that we can now get all this data from our devices and we can sum it up, it means suddenly we can find new ways to hack into human biology. And that's why I wrote the new book, Smarter Not Harder, because we know a bunch more stuff that sometimes I would talk about 10 years ago. Um, things like cold exposure or high-intensity interval training. To you and me, and maybe to some of your listeners, those are old hat. Like, yeah, we've all been doing that. But to the vast majority of the world, if you would get in an ice bath, you're crazy. I forget that sometimes. Yeah. And yeah. what do you mean? You want to skip breakfast? You'll, you'll die. <laughs> like, don't, you, don't you know? I'm trying to get my, my I have to say y'all in there somewhere because I'm in Texas. But it, like, it'll happen. You know, it, it, it's part Give it time. Of, give it time. Nah. Uh, it, it's, it, it's one of those things where, so you and I, we know this, but it turns out we don't know as much as we think we know about these protocols because now we're having more data. And, that was one of the reasons I started Upgrade Labs because, um, and you've, I mean, you've been there in yeah, Santa Monica. Yeah, many times. And I miss it, man. Uh, well, we're opening three of them in Austin. Are you really? Yeah. Three? Oh, I hope there's one toward you, Hill Country. Uh, we'll find out. You can go to ownandupgradelabs.com and you can actually open a franchise anywhere in the country. So we're opening dozens of them right now. Wow. This is my next big I remember you talking about that a, a couple years back yeah. and I was like, man, I hope that happens. It is I mean, in the think middle about of it. like, Having a gym, I mean, I hate gyms. I had one <laughs> membership. I had one membership once at a gym in LA. I think it was Hollywood Fitness on Hollywood Boulevard. Um, signed up, and I lived right up the hill. It was an eight-minute drive probably down to get in the parking lot and get in there. Signed up. At least one, if not two years went by, and I saw it on my credit card statement, you know, and I did not go one time. I just, the plastic smell, the off-gassing, the LED flickering blue light, like the weird the, the mold, posturing. The, the rebreathed CO2-rich air full yeah. of methane. So when Upgrade yeah. Labs happened, I was like, now this is how you do a gym, dude. The dry float tank, the oxygen contrast training bike. I mean, just like shit that actually works and works fast so you're not in there all day and everything is biologically supportive. Yeah. You know, it's just a way cooler model. So give us that link again. We'll put it in the show it's notes. Ownandupgradelabs.com. Okay. So you can literally go there and say, Oh, I want to open one in my community. And there's, it's a franchise. So Brad. this is meant to be, you know, the next orange theory uh, where it'll be all over the place. And it is happening right now. Uh, like I mentioned, three of them um, here in Austin. And um, there's lots and lots of cities still available. And the reason I'm talking about this now, though, is that this new book, Smarter Not Harder, 
it's informed by that because what we do when you walk in is we get thousands of data points from your body, like medical grade data points without having to draw blood. And then it turns out different people want different things. And most of us, I want to be healthier. But no one even knows what that is or how to measure it. So what I realized is there's five big goals that members have asked for. And that's what I'm writing about uh, in the book is, okay, let's help you pick a target. And once you pick a target, what are the techniques, what are the technologies, what is the new knowledge that comes from having all of this data that's going to get you there in the least possible effort? But I want to go back to something before we get into this. You're not alone with your gym membership. Every year in the US, there's $400 million dollars worth of ghost gym memberships. (laughs) Of course there is. Now, why we do that is actually the first part of Smarter Not Harder. Do you know why we do that? Because we we have an intention. We we want to be healthier and more fit. But I mean, for me... What gets in the way? What do you think? Well, for me, it's a lot of, it's the environment. I mean, but that's just because I'm, I'm more sensitive than your average person. But I think it's just the inertia of, of habit, right? Like even now I have, you know, like I got the Carol bike and uh, I, I want to get an ARX machine because I actually will use that. But I have like my uh, X3 Pro mm-hmm. resistance bands. I mean, I have enough stuff here to stay right. fit, but I still won't really work out, work out, like not hardcore. So I think in, in my case, why they would be making all this free money is just a lack of discipline and just actually not wanting to be in the environment. I love it. A lack of discipline. Well, I would even argue that the not wanting to be in the environment, which is valid, but some of that is amplified. Here's what's going on. Here's what I'm explaining in, in Smarter Not Harder. That it's okay to be lazy. <laughs> That's what I got from the book. Yeah, pretty much. One of the things, yeah. It, it is. But the, the mechanism for laziness and the reason for it is important because you're like, well, it's a lack of habit and a lack of discipline. We are taught that we use habits and discipline to overcome laziness because laziness is a bad thing, right? I mean, everyone's taught this. You, you learn it in a church. You learn it from your parents. You learn it at school. Uh, you learn it in media, everything. Like your job is to overcome this. But if you're a biohacker, you're like, well, why are we doing lazy? Right? Is it because we're bad people? Is it because we're weak? And I would just raise my hand and say, yes, I have eight companies. I've built a $100 million company and hundreds of millions of podcast downloads and hopefully my fifth New York Times bestseller. It's because I'm lazier than you. Straight up, I'm lazy. What lazy really means is that your body, not you, but your body wants to spend less energy to get something done. And that has been the driver of all human progress. Yet we're taught to feel guilty about it. No, no, no. The lazy is sacred. Lazy is exactly why you say, how do I get it done better? The constant improvement, even the the whole thing behind the biohacking movement is like, I want to show it better as a human being. All of that is driven by ultimately laziness. Because if you weren't driven to improve, what would you do? You'd sit on a rock and do nothing, right? So we have this weird kind of self-hate over the fact that it's shame and guilt driven. It's trauma over laziness, but let's look at how the operating system works so we can hack it properly, okay? Inside your body, there is an entirely invisible system that sits between you and reality. And in the book, I call it your meat operating system, just like the Mac OS. Like you install apps on it, but it like runs on the computer and it makes sure the camera works and stuff like that. Well, who's making your camera work? It's not you. It's something that's in there. Well, we know that it's in there. And the way we know is a, a measure. This is something that, that I know about because of my work with 40 Years of Zen, you know, the, 
the neuroscience high-end brain upgrade thing. It's called P300D. This is a measure of how quickly your brain gets a signal when something happens in the environment. So, Luke, I can do this, clap my hands, and you see it right away, right? And, and the intelligent part of your brain says, yeah, well, there's you know, a speed of sound. Like I didn't hear it until it got there and my eyes saw it slightly faster because the speed of light is faster than the speed of sound. But I, heard, I saw it almost in real time. But in reality, if you have an average brain for your age, it's about 350 milliseconds, a third of a second after I clap my hands, the first electrical signal hits your brain. There's something else taking a third of a second all of the time doing shit you can't see, including filtering out things you might want to see, and it erased its existence so you can't see it. I can't see it either. Now, I don't have a third of a second. I only have a quarter second because I still have an 18-year-old response time in my brain because my brain is extensively hacked and upgraded and I'm weird. So <laughs> that said, there's still a lag time. That's scary. There's something hiding reality from you. You cannot see it. Another thing, do you see the little dime-sized blind spot in the center of each eye? You know about that? Mm -mm. Yeah, so we have this. All of us have it. And there's certain uh, diagrams you can look at if you go to an ophthalmologist where suddenly like, there really is a missing circle in the middle, but you can't see it. The reason you can't see it, that same system edited it out of your body. We have a blind spot right freaking here, and we cannot see the blind spot. Isn't that why they call it a blind spot? You can't see it. So this is the system that is responsible for laziness. And it is the system that before you can think, provably, before your brain gets the signal, it gets to decide which signal it gets through and how much emphasis to put on it. And that part of the meat operating system, it cares about the four Fs that are a through line in my work. The number one thing is don't get eaten by tigers. That's fear. The number two thing is food, eat everything. And the third one is have sex with everything else to make sure the species survives. And the fourth one is friend, build a community because that's what all life does and support the planet and stuff like that. So this is what your body does before you can think. Only problem is part of the food one, it's not really food. It's don't run out of energy, which means spend less energy and eat more energy. That's what it wants you to do, right? And this is why you see those calories in, calories out, angry trolls who are bullied or <laughs> abused as children or something. And they're still uh, online going diet sodas and Snickers bars cancel each other out and they just yell and they bully and all that. Whatever, guys, I love you. Get a therapist. Like You, you can be saved. Uh, anyhow, I, I get distracted sometimes because they're so much fun to, to troll well, themselves. That, that piece right there, I'm trying to think. I think you were the first guy that I ever heard talk about that. And I wasn't really into <laughs> fitness. I've never been you know, terribly overweight. So I don't yeah. know, worried about calories. But when I started drinking Bulletproof Coffee back in... I don't know. When, I think when you still had, when it just came out, you had the yeah, like, like 2013 or something. The yeah. Bulletproof Executive blog. Yeah, yeah, around then, right? And that was the first thing that I found so weird. I'm like, I'm eating, I mean, drinking so many freaking calories with this fatty coffee. And then I don't want to eat the whole day. And, <laughs> and I was still like, well, why am I not getting fat if I'm eating so much fat? Because then I started loading up the ghee and like just yeah. eating more fat in general, right? And and then I I heard you or you know people that were probably informed by the stuff you were doing with the um, the bulletproof coffee that that old model of calories in calories out is actually a fallacy. Can you can you explain that? I mean, I know the trolls disagree with you, but for the oh, people yeah. for people that are curious and open minded and want to understand how that works, sure. That I, spend four hours in the gym like you used to do, and you were still three hundred pounds. Well, I, I could definitely talk about that. It, it's kind of funny. Um, 
that system in your body that's designed to make calories in feel more attractive uh, than they are and to make calories out feel harder than they are, that's there to keep you from dying in a famine. Don't burn more energy than you need. So we have these invisible amplifications of the signals. Eat everything, don't do anything is what your body wants you to do just in case. Word, I hear that. Right, and the calories in, <laughs> calories out, people are so bothered by that that they try to kind of flip it on its head and say, you know, all you have to do is manipulate those two things. That's not how it works. So the Bulletproof Diet and Bulletproof Coffee, at this point, people have lost at least 2 million pounds on the Bulletproof Diet. It looks suspiciously similar to many of the modern, you know, like a modern carnivore diet that allows fructose in the form of fruit or honey <laughs> and raw dairy and less inflammatory vegetables. I'm like, yeah, thumbs up. That's, that's where I ended up as well with the Bulletproof Diet. So it has lectins and oxalates and phytic acid. In the first chapter, like these are modern topics. I'm all summarized. Um, and that diet has just proven it's not about the calories in. And there's drugs that they give cows right now that make the cows fat on one-third less calories. <laughs> it's a mold toxin derivative that's called a xenoestrogen. And it just makes you fat on less food. And if that drug can exist, you can just unfollow all of the calories in, calories out people. They are either lying to you or they are blind to the fact that they're wrong. There's too much science that says if your thyroid hormone is off, you will or won't gain fat. If you eat food at midnight, you will or won't gain fat. It, there's just too many cases that prove that model doesn't even work very well. And the model you're talking about, the way I think about it in a, an oversimplified way is I eat a pint of ice cream that's X amount of calories. Then the next day I'm like, oh shit, I ate what, say 800 calories or whatever. So I need to go on the treadmill and monitor the yeah. calories I'm burning yeah. to get past that 800, it, right? It's pure fantasy because it looks That's brutal. Like well, that, it, that's, it's just mean-spirited because the reality is if you do that on the treadmill, your body will just tell you to eat more. And on top of that, half the calories every day come from stuff that you can't measure on a treadmill. So you can't measure the body warmth unless you're in a calorie chamber. There's the warmth of the body. There's uh, respiration. The amount of, of CO2 in your exhaust gas makes a difference. The amount of water in it. And all of these different variables, even how hard you think, changes caloric demand. So yet, yeah, we'll just ignore all of those and pretend like you have to balance out your calories on a treadmill with the number of potato chips you eat. I did that. I did that shit for 702 hours when I weighed 300 pounds. I believed it fervently. Oh, man. That's why I wrote Smarter Not Harder. It, it's the yeah. other side of that. So I've already shown people, look, calories don't make you fat. Obesogens make you fat. The wrong calories can make you fat. But this, this is just known and everyone knows this who has paid any attention to it. No matter how loudly you bully people about it, like that's, that cat's out of the bag. I wonder if people are hanging on to it because of the kind of personal trainer occupation, right? Because that, I wouldn't blame trainers for it. Trainers are, are who, really Who are valuable. the people that are hanging on to this then? Uh, they're mostly people who've built their self-identity around deprivation, oh. right? These are highly traumatized people and they tend to be bullies anyway. And if you look at the, the calories in, calories out uh, dynamic online, it's pretty brutal. Uh, and it, it's unkind to the reality of being a human which is that willpower is powered by the same system uh, that you're burning up on the treadmill. So what I did is I said, I got to lose this 100 pounds. I'm 300 pounds. I don't want to have a third knee surgery. I'm going to go to the gym. I'll do it six days a week. 
I'll do it 90 minutes a day, halfway tough cardio. And I'm going to do this if I'm sick. I'm going to do this if I have final exams. I'm going to do this when I'm starting my career. I'm going to do this even if I'm dating. Like I will miss a date before I will not go to the gym. And after I did this for 18 months, I looked down, I still had a 46-inch waist. Oh, that's I could, brutal. I could max out all but two of the machines at uh-huh. the gym. I was on the treadmill at a 15-degree incline wearing a backpack. I had a bad knee. I couldn't run, but I was walking as fast as I could walk with weight. That's crazy. So I thought to myself, I've also gone on a vegetarian diet for part of the time. I was on a low-calorie diet for much of that time because I knew all I had to do was just starve myself. So I kind of got used to that gnawing hunger feeling. Just I'm just going to stand up. To, I just kind of revel in it. Just be like, yeah, that means I'm making progress. That's called overtraining and undereating, and it makes it hard to lose weight. And it broke my thyroid. Uh, probably wasn't very good for me. Um, but man, I use my willpower. I use habit. I use every trick in the book. And I was so motivated. And I'm finally sitting at a Carl's Jr. with my friends. Okay, I can. I exercise more than all my friends combined. I could probably bench press all of my friends combined. I mean, I, I'm like strong, but I'm fat. And I eat less than all of them. And they're ordering double Western bacon cheeseburgers and fries. And I'll have the chicken salad, no dressing. Oh, and no chicken because, you know, too many calories, right? And like, this is what I, so I believe those calories in, calories out people so fervently. And I just remember thinking, I must be eating too much lettuce. Like, it's got to be me. I've got to cut back even more, right? And you just lean in. And what you do is you lean into the point of breaking your biology. So smarter, not harder is here because if I'd have had this knowledge when, when I weighed that much, I would have said, oh my God, uh, here's how to do it in a few minutes. And I wouldn't have had to spend $300,000 fixing my metabolism. Well, I think that's the thing about all of the biohacking, health optimization stuff that appeals to me is it's like my borderline OCD need for efficiency. If something is done in a wasteful way or a redundant way, it just bugs me. Like taking the long way to get where you're going when you look on the map and you're like, I could just go right there, straight shot. Mm -hmm. You know, and so the the idea of stacking things and quantifying things and I love your perspective in this book and just your general message that getting the biggest bang for your buck and the most yield results with the least amount of effort. And I've never really thought of it as laziness. I just think like, I want as much time as possible to do good things in the world and, and with my life. How dare you? I'm not going to spend yeah. the 700 hours that you did on a freaking treadmill or stair step Dude, or You're whatever. supposed to struggle and suffer. That's what makes you a better person. I want free time, but oh I also God. want to feel good. Right? I, I, I'm going to have to end the interview. I, that, that is so <laughs> offensive that you would want some free time. How dare yeah. you? Yeah. Don't you know that if you just suck it up and have some grit and just work really hard, wake up at 4 a.m. and spend three hours sweating on yourself and taking pictures of it over social media, that you'll be a good person and then you'll be loved? Those you, you, didn't, you didn't get that in church? When, when dudes post like pictures of their sweaty kettlebell and stuff, I always get grossed out. I don't, just heads up. I don't know if the ladies like that, but... This guy certainly doesn't. Uh, and you know what? I got to say, <laughs> I mean, I see the point. You know, it's like self-discipline and inspiring yeah. people to do good work, hard work, whatever. It, but I just... It's true. That I don't it, like suffering. I think I'm more in your camp. Like, what's the least amount of shit I can do to be how I want to be? You know, I actually adore suffering because suffering resets your dopamine sensitivity. I just want to suffer at the right amount for the least possible time to make my body know who's in charge and do what needs to happen. It turns out the probably most effective way to turn on suffering that improves you as a human being is to do a five-minute cold plunge. 
there, I got my suffering in for the day. Now I can go get shit done. I must be sick because I enjoy the ice bath. Yeah, you're maybe maybe you're a the fir- maybe the first ten seconds. It's a little like ah, oh, why am I doing this? But it's called masochism. It's okay, <laughs> but I don't know. I crave that thing. But no, but like you said, everyone you, who learns to do it does crave it. You get habituated yeah. though in 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 your life way, right? Because you reminded me earlier that to the vast majority of the population, they would be tortured by even the idea of sitting in an ice bath for thirty seconds. And yeah. I'm the guy that's like, oh, I, I got to get out. I'll probably do one between our interviews today. Like, I just, I got to do it. If I feel off in any way, that's my medicine, you know? Well, you also have a history of addiction. Yeah. And you've been super yeah. public about that. It turns out people who've been addicts, even into something that's not a, a chemical, whether it's a, a work addiction, sex addiction, a gambling addiction, all that kind of stuff. I've had two of those also. <laughs> they, kind of, they kind of travel in packs, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, so... That any kind of addictive thing like that, it's a dopamine signaling problem. And it turns out that exposure to pain, whether it's from uh, you know grinding it out on a on a on a Cannondale, you know, a road bike. This used to be one of my things when I was much younger, trying to lose weight. I'd get on a road bike and ride hills, and like it hurts, and you're just gonna push. Um, or cold plunge, or eating spicy peppers, or like old spiritual practices of you know self flagellation. <laughs> Where people would whip themselves. Today we just eat kale. It's almost the same thing. Uh, but <laughs> oh god! But those all affect dopamine signaling in the brain in a beneficial way. So the number of addicts who have healed their addiction, who practice cold therapy or some other way of intentionally, briefly feeling a pain signal in the meat of the body, which regulates their dopamine for the rest of the day, it's very high. And it's actually a normal practice for resilient humans. They just had to come about it from a certain way to realize, oh, this helps me not have cravings because now my dopamine receptors are sensitized. But if I didn't have my cold exposure or my you know, habaneros on my burrito, whatever, yeah, <laughs> whatever yeah. your kick is, that, that's actually part of it. So suffering is okay. But because our brains are, are also lazy, Instead of thinking things through, in order to save electricity, our meat operating system is like, oh, you don't have to actually think about it. Let me just either give you a feeling that you believe is true, or let me give you an intellectual shortcut. So the biggest intellectual shortcut we make is, if something is bad, none of it is, is your best situation. And if something is good, you should do more of it. Very simple. It's, it's kind of obvious on its face, except it's stupidly wrong, even though it's obvious on its face. The part of you that said that was obvious is your meat operating system. The part of you that goes, actually, come to think of it, that doesn't make any sense. That was your active brain, but you didn't take the electricity to think about it because you already knew it was obvious. This is all invisible to us, but it's part of what keeps us from wasting energy so we don't die of famine. So what that means is that if a little suffering is good, more is better. And we know that exercise is good. Therefore, like me, more exercise is better. And if we know that sometimes having an empty stomach is full, like intermittent fasting is good for you, I'll just never eat again. And there are people who overfast and become gods and things like that. So we tend to go to extremes because it's intellectually easier to do an extreme than it is to actually figure out the right dose. Smarter, not harder, is about telling you the right dose to get to the goal you want. An example here is uh, with high-intensity interval training versus chronic cardio. What I believed was if I just do my 45 minutes of cardio on the treadmill, I'll work really hard. I'll be exhausted when I'm done. I'll be all sweaty. Therefore, I've worked hard. I've struggled. Therefore, I'll get my results. 
And that's what they teach us to this day. It's not real. Here's what the meat operating system actually responds to. If you do something at full exertion, as, as much as the meat can handle, for a relatively brief period of time, then the body says, okay, I faced a challenge, right? And then it says, what do I do next? And it has to make a decision. And remember, it's doing this without asking you. It doesn't really even like it that you're in there. This <laughs> is your body <laughs> doing its thing. It thinks it's in charge. So it's going to say, well, I could go in and I could make the system stronger in case I have to do that again. But I got to look at what's happening right now. So case in point, you might go to the gym, get on the treadmill, warm up for five minutes, get your blood flowing, and then hit your first big hill and sprint really hard. Now, the body is like, I don't know why I'm moving this much. I don't really like it because I wanted to sit on the couch and watch Netflix. But then, okay, heart's raising. It, it said, all right, fine, here's some adrenaline. And then the tiger actually tries to kill you. And that's why you're running up the hill, right? You're doing the hard stuff. But then if you were to get away from the tiger, you'd be like, oh, that was, that was awesome. I'm just going to sit down and chill. But instead you know more is better. So the, the person at the front of your spin class is like, okay, everybody, now let's stand up and I'm going to turn up the Britney Spears or whatever the hell they listen to. I don't do that kind of class. You know, and Britney, thank you. You're awesome. Uh, anyway, you're going to like turn this up and we're all going to be like sweating on each other. And what you're telling the body is, a tiger almost caught me and then I kind of sort of got away, but it's still hunting me. And it's hunting me for 45 minutes. And the body's like, I'm not going to adapt. All of my resources just went into an emergency. And even worse, if you're like me, oh, and by the way, there's a famine because I wasn't eating enough. Well, is it any wonder that the body is a little bit reluctant to invest very hard to come by resources to becoming stronger and faster and having more muscles and having more VO2 max and building more mitochondria? Of course, it's not going to do that. It's not dumb. There was a hunter hunting you and it was hard to get away and there was no food. If instead you're like, oh, something almost ate me, but now I'm going to take a nap. And you return to baseline. This is a fundamental principle in biohacking that, uh, that I've introduced. And it works on almost everything, but not everything. And it's, it's harder, smarter, not harder. I call it slope of the curve biology. And what that means is that the body doesn't listen to how much work you do underneath the curve. Like, oh, I did an hour of training at 50%. Look how much volume of work I did. You know, I burned 1,000 calories. No, 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 it doesn't care. In fact, that's probably bad. What it wants to know is how much of my full output could I get to quickly? And how quickly can I return to baseline? What that means is that the, the slope of the curve, how quickly we recover, is the major signal to the body that it's safe to adapt. And with that, you go to an upgrade labs. Uh, we've got a modified version of Rehit on an exercise bike. Rehit is reduced exertion high intensity training. The latest studies, five minutes of training three times a week gives you six times better results than doing an hour of cardio five days a week. Is that similar to the Carol bike? Yeah, it's some, yeah, yeah. We work with the Carol bike, oh, okay. but we've got modifications oh, okay. to it for Upgrade Labs. And what we're doing at Upgrade Labs that's cool is we're actually using all of the data we're gathering to give you a prescription for what to do when. Because I mean, let's face it, anyone can buy a bunch of the different gear that I've popularized and that you've popularized over the years. You're just not going to get the results you need because depending on your goal and depending on your uh, where you are now, both overall and where you are today now. Uh, are you more inflamed, less inflamed, things like that? Uh, and depending on where you want to go, your path through all these different technologies is radically different. 
Yeah. So we've got the data to do that. That's very cool. We're the yeah. only people in the world who have that data. That's really cool because even with something like the Carol bike, which as far as like exercising hard and getting your heart rate up, it's the most tolerable for me. But I guarantee you, if I have a screen of choices on there and one of them is 20 minutes long and you do 30 sprints and one of them is 10 minutes long and you do two sprints, every goddamn time I'm going to pick the two sprints. Why would you pick more? Right? But if I was getting the data back and you were like, oh, Luke, man, you're doing really good, you know, the algorithm or person that's telling me that, you, man, if you just do one day a week of this longer, harder one, you're going to see these kind of benefits then I would actually do it. But if it's yeah. just up to me and I don't really know, you won't do that and I'm not getting much feedback, I'm definitely going to do, maybe not the, the very easiest one, but probably the second easiest one. Well, the, the cool thing is, I'm not going to tell you to do the harder one unless it's in alignment with your goals. For the vast majority of people, it's like this. I have 37 minutes right now because I came into Upgrade Labs. I got to leave it this time. What can I do right now that's going to give me the most movement in the direction of my goal. And everyone has five big goals. And everyone has at least one that's at the top and usually a secondary that's pretty important. And based on that, we actually have the ability to say, okay, for you, given that you look like this biologically right now, and that this is your goal, you're going to do this much of our modified rehit, you're going to do maybe cold, maybe not cold, maybe strength, maybe not strength. And we've got a whole neurofeedback system from 40 years of Zen where we're doing short, intense meditations. So if your goal was stress recovery, which is one of the big five goals, and cognitive function, your workout's going to look entirely different than if you were to do something that said, look, I just want my muscles back. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's but cool. muscles still matter. But if, look, if you're there for, for cardio, it's just going to be a different day. And we're not going to tell you, you pick cardio versus weight days because you won't do it right. You tell us your goals and we're going to tell you exactly what to do to give you the most time. It's like having a recipe that changes each time for dinner to give you exactly the right food. We build the recipe based on who you are and what you want to do. But I'm teaching people how to do that for themselves as best I can without all of our AI algorithms and everything. Back in the 90s, my friends used to call me a health nut. You know, drinking smoothies, taking vitamins, doing saunas, colonics, and all the old school health practices. Well, my commitment to health has never wavered since. And lucky for me, the innovation over the past two decades has been incredible. We just live in an unprecedented time of opportunity when it comes to taking your wellness into your own hands. And one of my non-negotiables is getting a daily dose of red light. There are dozens of clinically proven benefits from red light therapy, and I've experienced many of them myself. Most importantly, I'd say cellular vitality and energy, which is why I'm so committed to my daily Juve red light sessions. Aside from the obvious benefits, I've been recommending Juve for years because the quality of their devices are simply the best. Their modular design allows for a variety of setup options that gives me the flexibility to use them how I see fit. Now, I personally dig the full body modular system myself because I can blast myself with powerful red light all over my body very quickly. But Juve also makes many sizes like their handheld device. It's called the Juve Go. That's really great for targeting specific areas of your body like hurting joints or sore muscles. But no matter what Juve device you use, the benefits are definitely there. To get in on this red light magic, hit up juve.com Luke. And heads up, right now they're offering all of my listeners an exclusive discount on their first order. Again, that's J-O-O-V-V dot com forward slash Luke 
and use the code Luke at checkout for your qualifying order. Some exclusions, however, do apply. Well, something in the in the book I wanted to to point to because I understand not everyone has the resources for all of the really high tech stuff. You Most know, of Carol us don't. Bike, five grand. I mean, no, a lot of the cool stuff is like five to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars and more. Right? You don't have to buy anything to use Smart Enough. Yeah, that's so part of the goal. Y- you broke it down, and I think in a really cool way because I'm always trying to do this for people when they say, "Well, listen, I'm on a limited budget, single parent, whatever. What can I do?" And for me, it's always you know ice get in cold water, get sunshine, breath work. I pick all the meditation, like free things that'll really move the needle. But I like how you broke it down to, there's like a a sort of recipe or recommendation, starter, mid-level and advanced tax. And then the advanced ones I noticed are typically ones that are going to cost you some money. They're either at Upgrade Labs or you're going to spend, you know, five or 10 grand or a hundred grand. And most people aren't going to do that. The reason I talk about those is some people are, or you can go, you can share that with your whole neighborhood um, but if it works at that level, it illustrates that there's a principle that, that we can learn about. And if we know about a new principle of how to hack our bodies, you can get a signal in. And really, it's just telling the operating system to change in the way you choose instead of the way it chooses. Because it's trying to interpret reality. It's just stupid at interpreting reality. So you're just going to trick it into believing your version of reality. And when it does, it'll modify itself. And... Oh, an example there, most of us aren't going to go buy a $5,000 bike, but you can get a membership at Upgrade Labs, or you can do what I described. Every one of these principles has a free version. You can go to the park, and I've talked for years about it. You can go do HIT at, at the park, high-intensity interval training, when it first came out. Uh, but this is even worse if you're worried about being embarrassed, because you basically go to the park, and you act like you've eaten three THC gummies. <laughs> so, so you're like you're walking so slow you're looking at the grass and it's boring and you're like people are looking at me I feel so dumb and you kind of meander like like the walking meditation you're so slow and then boom run ah! now you're really on drugs okay? you, you'd fit right <laughs> in in Santa Monica right just run like crazy like you're going to die for maybe 20-30 seconds and then now if you want to get that signal in how do you tell your body that you're safe drop <laughs> Lay on your back and start doing breathing, deep breathing, slow, rhythmic, twice as long out breath to activate parasympathetic. Calm down, calm down. Now, if no one tries to give you mouth to mouth, you'll adapt as quickly as you possibly could. It just looks pretty funny. And it's better to do it at an upgrade labs or, or with some tech, but you can't do that on a treadmill. You can't do it on a normal exercise bike because you can't go from zero to I'm going to die in one second. And that's what your body has to understand. Yeah. It's really, the slope of the curve. Totally. That's such an important piece too, is building in the recovery. You know, do you, you know about Nucom? That oh, yeah. neuroacoustic software? I'm obsessed with that <laughs> software. I use it all the time because it's, yeah, I mean, I meditate too, but if I meditate with that, it's going to drop me into a deeper state. Nice. And so I, I love, you know, like working for two hours, just, just grinding, doing a podcast, whatever it is, working around the house, working on the computer, using a lot of brain energy or working out and then dropping into that or going to a float tank. You know, I, I like that, that diversity you describe it, of going to the park. It of helps. Deeply relaxing, then going hardcore because over my life, the times I just went hardcore and didn't build in the recovery, I got burned out, period. And then I don't want to do any of it. So that's a, that's a really important distinction for people, I think, to take away, you know, because everyone knows by now, right? Oh, meditation's good for you, but 
it's like there are other ways through breathing, as you mentioned, and you know, different software and things that can really drop you into a really relaxed yeah. state. And to punctuate one's day with that, to me, that's the secret sauce. That's just to continually take a little, even a 10-minute break to re-energize and give your body, as you said, that signal that it's safe, right? And then go hard again. That's for me, is the longevity recipe. Mm-hmm. It's like, wow, maybe I could be doing that when I'm 80 or you 180. <laughs> you know? it, I, I think you can be doing that. And that's why in the, the, towards the end of the book, I talk about cognitive function. I talk about technologies and techniques that put your brain in certain states and improve your brain faster than doing crossword puzzles. You know, that, that's the old way of doing it. And then even for the, the chapter on meditation, and stress resilience, and I, I kind of call it spirit, spiritual hacking. It's any spiritual path that you're on that feels good to you, do it. And part of me is called, well, I'd love to go back to Tibet and just stay in a monastery for a year and like not talk to anyone and just, you know, well, it'd have to be a non-vegan monastery because I can't fart and meditate that much. But, you know, I could do it, right? It would be great. Unfortunately... I have other things that are also great. I have a family. I have a responsibility to the biohacking community um, that, that I've built and, and that I, I, I hold energy for it. Like I, I don't want to check out, but that's kind of what you do if you really want to go do that. So maybe I could also say, well, then I could make space for two hours a day of meditating. I could, and it would come from something else. So if I can get the results of that in a half hour, that's lazy. I mean, it's straight up lazy. And some people get really angry. What do you mean hurry, meditate faster? I mean, don't you have work to do in the world? If you can get the results in less time, you owe it to yourself and to your family and your community. So take that precious time, that precious energy and use it to help somebody. Like use it to grow your compassion. Use it to meditate even. Imagine if you had two, hour, or two hours to meditate. Like I'm going to take, oh, I don't know, 15 minutes or a half hour of that two hours. And I'm going to use technologies that got me a ton of meditation. And then I spend the other hour and a half meditating on top of that, you're still going to do better. Like it's just wasted energy. So meditate in any way that works for you, but consider the fact that breathing, doing breath work with meditation just works better in studies and in practice. So you owe it to yourself to not do a half-assed job of meditating, get all the way in there. For me, I glue electrodes to my head and I've spent six months of my life with <laughs> electrodes on my head meditating. And you know, I run a facility that does that for executives. That's not accessible to everyone, but in the last year, 40 years of Zen now does at-home training where we'll send the gear to you. I can't do all of the upgrades, but I could do a good portion of them, and it costs half as much or thereabouts as the, the whole program. And I'm putting little you know, 20-minute snippets of that even into Upgrade Labs. I just want all of us to say, if I have 10 minutes to calm my nervous system and make my brain work better and to get into the best altered state for me, how do I do it so I can get there? Because we have work to do in the world and it, it just matters. And you could call it lazy, you could call it sacrilege because I'm not following an ancient lineage that tells you, I've trained with many ancient lineages. I respect the hell out of them. Yeah. I don't have time for them. Well, also, you know, that's what's great about stacking things, right? When you can take that finite period of time, a half an hour. I mean, I'll lay there on a PMF mat under the Lucia light with the Newcom thing on and probably the Apollo on my wrist. I mean, I don't always do everything, but... Anything that's good for me that's going to make me feel good, whether it's recovery or not, I'll just do a bunch of those things at the same time, like stand on the vibe plate and do the red light while, you know, and then also hang and do some pull-ups at the same time, you know, and then that 10 minutes 
got me a net result much more so than just doing red light or just vibrating or just doing a couple pull-ups, you know? Yep. I think this is another piece that's, that's really fun too, is start learning some of these things, whether they're expensive or not and whatever you can afford to do, but you can stack a bunch of stuff at once. And then again, like you're saying, have more of that free time to actually be creative and accomplish something, to share your gifts with the world. Um, something you, you talked about in the book uh, is vitamin Dake, D-A-K-E. I don't know if you pronounce it that way. How do you say it? Dake? Yeah, Dake. I like Dake. I thought you said it a different way. So <laughs> that's <laughs> it's but a vitamin one, two for some people. But one though. thing you, uh, I want you to just break that down real quick. And I love that you talked about real vitamin A, you know, retinol, because sure. a lot a lot of people that recommend vitamin A talk about just drinking carrot juice, you know, and and since I within the past couple of years, started being mindful about just getting more retinol in. I mean, it's my energy is Huge noticeably difference. higher. I take 20,000 IUs of retinol every day. So in, a, in a supplement form? Yeah. Oh, okay. So vitamin D. It's more fun than eating raw liver. Oh, that's for sure. Or cod liver oil. Uh, vitamin D is one of the, the two non-sexy supplement recommendations that I make in Smarter Harder. Like you and I both are all about nootropics and supplements that increase sex drive. And like, you can do all kinds of cool stuff with supplements, the anti-aging world with spermidine and all that kind of stuff. I, I introduce those things as best I can um, to myself and just talk about them on the show. The stuff that doesn't get any love, but drives everything is number one, minerals. We become mineral deplete. We don't get minerals in our food anymore because our soil has no minerals because of glyphosate and because of over farming. So suddenly it looks like a piece of celery, but it doesn't have the minerals that you think it has. And it looks even like a piece of chicken, but the chicken grew in six weeks instead of six months and didn't eat very much during that time. And it's devoid of minerals. And on top of that, all these plant-based foods that are peasant foods that are being sold as healthy foods uh, those steal minerals from your body. And I warned about this in the first chapter of the Bulletproof Diet, but I talked about lectins, I talked about oxalates, I talked about phytic acid, I talked about omega-6, I talked about histamine. It's kind of overwhelming. This book, I'm just talking about specifically phytic acid, which is a compound in beans and nuts and seeds and grains that sucks minerals from your body. Look, if you don't have enough minerals, your workout won't work. If you don't have enough minerals, your meditation won't work. It affects everything. It's foundational. And since we're eating a bunch of foods that suck them from our bones and the foods we eat don't put it back in our bones. This explains why my teeth all rotted out of my head when I was a vegetarian. Right there. Same thing right? when I was- Are a, you serious? Yeah, when I was a raw vegan, I cracked two teeth. Like literally they cracked in half, not from eating crunchy foods even. And they would always be like really temperature sensitive and sore. This is mineral deficiency. It's crazy. Dude, I made it through 15 hard years of drug addiction with perfect teeth got sober and thought, oh, now I need to get healthy and I'm going to become a vegetarian. And all my teeth rotted out. I mean, yeah. not all of them, but to the point where I just had to, re I'm in the process of replacing all of them because they're just done. Wow. Yeah, and it happened when I was a vegetarian. So it when you're a vegetarian, you stopped getting crazy. vitamin D, D-A-K-N-E. Let's see, those are all animal-based. You can get uh, a little bit of D if you take uh, shiitake mushrooms and turn them upside down and give them a suntan, you'll get trace amounts of vitamin D. Other than that, there's no plant-based vitamin D. Uh, vitamin A, people say, oh, it's plant-based vitamin A. No, it's beta carotene. It doesn't turn into retinol in the body very efficiently, if at all, depending on who you are. So there's that. And vitamin K2 
is from butter and cheese. And there is a little bit in natto, if you like snotty fermented <laughs> soy that tastes... <laughs> and spermidine too. Uh, a little spermidine in there too. Natto is not for the faint at heart. Yeah, natto is a superfood. I, I eat it. Really? And I don't mind it, but I'm I'm weird. I don't know. Yeah, it it, it is a superfood. But if I open it yeah. in the house, no matter where Allison is in the house, she's like, oh my God, you opened the natto again. Like it reeks up the whole house oh, like, yeah. like a corpse's socks. <laughs> oh, great visual imagery. Yeah, I mean, it's you, you sold that hard. Um, it is a superfood. I don't need it. It's gross. I can get it in much better things. I the consistency like, too. Yeah. I mean, it's very snotty. It's, it's like very, eating, eating a bowl of rotting mucus. Yeah, much. it's it's. But some people love it. It's they say it's nutty. I'm like, okay. I've I've grown to like it, but I I do cheat. I will put a little hot sauce or something uh, on there. It doesn't know, count. So I'm not I'm not a purist. Um, it's kind of the same. You know, you can take a bite of raw liver if you really want to, and I've done that very early on when I was writing my pregnancy book. I tried. I was like, okay. She, um, uh, lamb liver raw, put it in my in my upside down Nutribullet thing and grind it up. <laughs> oh I'm like, I gotta do this. Put some water uh, in there. Oh. And and I tried to drink it, and it was so horrible. Uh, and then you know the stringy bits of liver. One of them gets like caught in my tooth, and there's like liver hanging down my throat. I'm like, I'm gonna die. Like this is the worst experience of my life. So I just actually take liver pills. I have for 15 years. I guess now they're cool, but. You'll need an ounce a day. More than that's probably not going to do good things for you because your purine levels go up. So I talk about that in the book too. It's a good source of minerals. It's one of the ones that we used to get that we don't anymore. The liver? Yeah, liver is. Yeah, especially for know, copper. You know, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Uh, also, I feel that copper is vastly underrepresented too. People don't talk about copper. And I'm what? like, dude, how does your mitochondria work without copper and retinol? Like how do you how how do you make energy? You actually don't, and so it's no wonder that we have problems when we go plant based and you're not getting copper. Except there's an exception there. If you eat about a, a whole bar of dark chocolate every day, which I do actually, I like chocolate. Uh, it does contain a substantial amount of copper. Oh, really? That you might get like small amounts, not enough. I take copper supplements too, but dark chocolate you have to watch out because it tends to have histamine. And it can have oxalic acid, and um, it can also have phytic acid. I got a new business idea for you. Since you like starting businesses yeah, every I every I, month, I, I think I overstart businesses. I got to stop that. What about? Uh, I mean, obviously a mycotoxin-free chocolate, but one that is tested for lower oxalic acid. You know, because there's no way of telling. Like you can get the no best, like handmade I, Peruvian cacao. Yeah. Like my wife gets this beautiful cacao from South America, and it's it's organic. Sometimes biodynamic. I mean, I'm assuming it's not mold. It's high altitude. It's it's prepared carefully, but you don't know the oxalate level. Here's how you know. Okay, take a a piece of raw spinach. It's probably easier than raw kale. Uh, and then you put it in your mouth, chew it up, and swirl it around a little bit, and you could spit it out or swallow it, whatever you really want to. And then rub your tongue on your bottom teeth. You know that feeling you get from spinach? Yeah, yeah. That's oxalic acid. Right. Okay. Now, now you know the feeling. Take a bite of whatever chocolate you want to test. I like Melt it. Melt it around. Just a little tiny bite. Melt it yeah. around. If you have that fur on the back of your teeth from spinach, that is oxalic acid. You can feel so it. So you can self-test your own chocolate. I do. That's Absolutely. Cool. And there's times I open a bar, I'm like, oh, damn it, I'm not eating that bar. I Actually, you're right. We should, we should start something. The, uh, I mean, because... Uh, that, that was the same thing with Bulletproof Coffee in the early yeah. days. I'm like, I drank this $20 bag of coffee. I drank one and it punched me in the face. It made me tired yeah. and I got a reaction to the mold toxins in it. Okay, I'll get rid of that and I'd buy another likely to be mold-free and I'd, I'd hit a good one. I'm like, oh, thank God. Now I can drink the whole thing. And it was, I do that with chocolate right now. So it's an interesting idea. 
Yeah, well, the world I needs it. I just need another even normies, another company. Please even, know. even normies like chocolate. <laughs> you know normies. What I mean? You don't have to be like a health nut to enjoy yeah. it. I mean, we call it cacao, you know, but I mean, everyone likes chocolate. Come on. They, we, we all like chocolate. And it's, uh, it, it's fun. So chocolate, has, it is a superfood. I think coffee and chocolate are the two most important foods that we can consume outside of red meat. Dude, I didn't think I could drink coffee. And I'm not trying to. Make, I quit it for five years. I'm too. not trying to make this like a commercial for Bulletproof Coffee. You have a new coffee now, but like I literally, because I would go to Starbucks or Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf. There's a chain they have yeah. in LA, and um, drink a big Comes coffee, Hawaii, right? and I would be just yeah, a, the shakes. a nervous wreck. And so I thought, oh, I'm sensitive to caffeine. I just can't. I just can't do caffeine. Like I can't do coffee. And then when I drank coffee without mold and pesticides and mixed it with fat, like you, you know, uh, promoted. I was like, holy shit, I feel amazing on coffee. <laughs> and Makes me so it, happy. Interestingly, and it, I mean, like to, to live a life without coffee is a tragedy. You know I, what I, mean? I went five years I'm without so coffee. Glad. Before I started oh, Bulletproof, man. I had the same exact thing. Like coffee, I drink it. I like it for a little while. Then I feel shaky and jittery. I feel like anxiety. And, and I hungry. Yeah. It'll, it makes super hungry. Like shitty coffee makes me want to eat bad food that yeah. might, is not good you for need, me. Your body says, give me sugar so that I can deal with all these toxins. I also find, you know, interestingly, I... I I'm never, and I'm, I would say I have a pretty addictive personality based on my past. I don't ever feel addicted to coffee. Like there's days I don't drink it. I, I just have a lot of energy. I think it'll be overstimulating. I don't drink it. Mm-hmm. And, and I used to be very addicted to it when it was the shitty coffee. So I think when you're drinking good coffee too, I don't know, you become less dependent on it. It's, it's yeah. just, it's like a little bonus in cognition and energy, but it's not like you're going to die without it. It's a different relationship, I find. It is a different relationship, and and it's funny. I, I'm still the largest shareholder of Bulletproof, and you know it's it's my baby. I am not on the board. I have no uh, operational relationship. Yeah, because you changed the name of your podcast and the conference. Yeah, and... that that was at their request. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, the board of directors and the CEO wanted me to to not. So you're still a shareholder, way. but you're not directly yeah, involved. So a lot in... of people think I sold. No, I have sold Bulletproof. I I really want Bulletproof to succeed. Um, and, uh, but I'm just like, I, I'm not, uh, not involved there, but yeah. I, they I didn't get pissed when you made a new coffee company. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's kind of weird because my plan was I, like, I need a functional coffee at Upgrade Labs. Um, and it's necessary for people to do some of the, some of the hacks that we're doing. This is a franchise that's opening all over the country with dozens of locations. What's the timeline on that, by the way? Oh, it's already opening. We have uh, the ones in LA, and I don't know exactly which cities are going to first, but there's, I don't know the exact number, but we'll say at least a dozen lease applications going in around the country for people who are in the process of opening. Oh, cool. And we've got, like, every day more people are going to own in UpgradeLabs.com, and they're saying, I want to do one in my city. You know, what's it going to take? And we're having, I have the whole team. In fact, my employee there opened the first several hundred Orange Theory locations. So I have, like, a very experienced oh, team. Awesome who knows how to do it because it's hard to run a biohacking facility. Lots of people were inspired by Upgrade Labs in LA and said, I'll just you know, buy a couple pieces and open one. It's very hard to make money doing that. It took me about eight years to be comfortable to franchise it, but I feel really good about it now. So going back to coffee. So I wanted a coffee there and it was actually Bulletproof's request. They, uh, they said, uh, we, we don't want you to Bulletproof coffee there. Uh, or uh, or bulletproof supplements, and I was a little surprised, um, but I honored their request. Still, I needed the upgrade lab supplements and the the coffee, so um, I went in a different direction anyway. Like I, this isn't like a knockoff coffee at all. Like I I'm a I drink like bulletproof decaf. I you know I I use bulletproof MCT oil and collagen and inner fuel and all that stuff still. So 
Um, what Danger Coffee though is is it is tested to my current top mold testing, and it says right on the bag mold tested. And you should check whatever brand you're into to see if it says mold testing, because some companies have started just saying clean, but you don't necessarily know what clean is. Um, and, and also, even if if a batch of coffee was tested, if it's not tested continually, then yeah. you know the, the farm down the road could have you know had some extra beans and not dried them right or whatever, and created yeah. mycotoxins. And you're just going to bag it up. And yeah, you have to do the right amount of testing and all yeah. that stuff. Um, but what's very different, and actually filed a patent on this uh, with Danger Coffee is that it has a very large dose of trace minerals and electrolytes in it. Oh, cool. So when you, when you do that, you drink the coffee, it changes how the coffee goes into the body because of the electrolytes. And your meat operating system, it has an invisible detector for minerals in food. I when, can smell it through the bag. Oh, we got to make a coffee in between okay. recordings. I'm down. I'm going to try it out. All right, carry on. So your meat operating system says... Okay, uh, there's minerals in this, minerals that I can absorb because they're in an ionic form. And then it says, drink it. And, and it's a weird thing because it's not a flavor, it's a feeling. And, and the then, minerals don't change the flavor profile? Not even a little bit. Wow. This is extremely well-graded coffee. Like the quality of the coffee is so good. It, it's expensive to make, but I, like it has to be something that is joyful to drink. The minerals increase the joyfulness I feel when I drink it. Like every morning, I'm like, ah. Oh. Like there's something in this. So it's a different vibe. You can put butter. You can put uh, C8 MCT. Like I said, I use Brain Octane for that. You can put it in there um, and it works. But this is just a different different animal. Cool. Congratulations. I can't wait to try it. In fact, I, I don't... I don't think you have... Can I give a code? It's just a discount code for Danger Coffee. Yeah, dude. Because I've only had one cup at the conference and we're going to have some right now. But I'm sure people listening want to get mineralized and right. not drink mold. I, we didn't plan this. Uh, let's make it Luke. So go to okay. DangerCoffee.com. Use code Luke and uh, you'll save some money and I'll, we'll work it out, whatever it's going to be. Awesome. But discount for your listeners. Guys, thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. I, I like it when people come on the show and if they promote their shit that they at least hook up the audience. <laughs> I, I, actually, I make people do that on my show. Like if you come on my show and you're going to talk about your product, you better give listeners a discount. You should do the yeah. same thing. So yeah, there I you do. Go. There's the I, do. I don't think most people slip through without getting some right, kind well, of discount. So thanks. Hold me accountable. I'm stoked. Thank you. I'm going to take a moment here to share an incredible resource with you. It's called Quantum Upgrade. Every unit of matter contains quantum energy, and so do our cells. Every person has a quantum energy field and constantly interacts with other quantum energy fields. Quantum energy is so important that the 2022 Nobel Prize in Physics was specifically about quantum entanglement. Let me explain here how Quantum Upgrade uses this energy to powerfully enhance our well-being. Through many years of research, Quantum Upgrade has developed one of the world's most potent sources of usable quantum energy. When you sign up for their service, Quantum Upgrade associates your home, your phone, your business, your pet, or even your car with this energy source. And you all know by now what an EMF mitigation fanatic I am. That's because EMF frequencies are incoherent and dramatically stress the human body. Well, Quantum Upgrade counters this problem by harmonizing the EMF to make them no longer toxic to your body. This is why I love the service on my car. My car fatigue has dramatically improved. I mean, it very obviously works. But apart from the EMF benefits, Quantum Upgrade also enhances your vitality in many other ways, which are shown in the studies on their website. 
So if you want an affordable way to deal with EMF and experience the vitality you deserve, check out quantumupgrade.io and get a 15-day free trial using the code LUKE15. Again, that's quantumupgrade.io. What's your take on uh, Sheila G? Are you a fan? Um, Sheila G, terrible saxophonist. This is the sister of Kenny G. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> By the way, dad jokes are a sign of high but, intelligence. Hey, man, we have plenty of dad <laughs> jokes. Sometimes we keep it clean, sometimes we don't. We like to mix it up. All right, so but I, I, I love Shilaji. Uh, and again, one of those things you want to make sure is tested, right? Because I was going to say, I have some issues. I've tried it over the years. And there's kind of two ways of getting trace minerals like that. Uh, one of them is through humic and fulvic uh, extracts that mostly come from compressed peat moss. And the other one is shilajit. And shilajit is, we're not quite sure where it comes from, but it squirts out of rocks in the Himalayas and a couple other places. But there's widely varying compositions of it and widely varying amounts of heavy metals and, and things like that. Um, so I found that you get a, a broader spectrum from using humic and fulvic uh, biomass from peat than you do from getting shilajit. And I think the supply is much more accessible there. Um, but I, I think either way, you want to get your trace minerals. And when I, years ago, when I started Bulletproof, I've tried every performance enhancer on this, on the planet, basically, that's not highly dangerous. I could never get the kick from the different brands that I tried. Oh, Shilajit? Really? Yeah. That's funny. I, yeah. I find, I find it noticeably you do. potent. Yeah. That's because you were a vegan. <laughs> Seriously. I wasn't vegan. I didn't oh, have that kind of You were a vegetarian? I basically lived off pizza and pasta oh, okay. for 10 years. Well, yeah. whatever you did that rotted your teeth, yeah. you may just still be mineral uh, deficient and you're still getting your sufficiency up. Yeah. Another thing that's weird about Shilajit, and I heard this, you know, kind of in the rumor sphere, um, was that it will potentiate uh, any kind of psychoactive substance that you take. And so started using it in conjunction with microdosing, yeah, psilocybin, LSD, et cetera. And you really do have to be mindful because it does potentially, I don't, I don't know, yeah. know the science on it, but uh, you know, it said, if you take some shilajit, if you're uh -huh. going on a journey or something, like yeah. it potentiates, it's what I haven't done, but I have noticed in microdosing that it takes less of the substance to get, to stay sub-perceptual. Hmm. Like you can go above perceptual if, if you take a, a grip of shilajit with a microdose. You said something important. So shilajit potentiates psychoactive substances. So I'm using a compound similar to shilajit. Oh, interesting. But one that I find is a little more effective, humic and fulvic, in danger coffee, which potentiates the effects. Ah, so you're okay. not far off track. Okay, there. cool. Because <laughs> you hear stuff, you know, yeah. in the endless information online and on podcasts. And I think people just say shit and then it's like the telephone game and it... It just becomes a thought meme, right? So yep. with that particular thing, I thought, I don't know, I'm going to try it and see. And I was like, God damn, they're right. You got you to be mindful. The Shilajit will pump you up with whatever you mix with it. Um, all right, I want to cover a couple more things. Oh, back on the uh, the trace minerals. What are your thoughts on uh, Quinton minerals? The, the oh, like the seawater? Sea uh -huh. It's actually uh, really cool. It's, it's an unusual and relatively expensive delivery mechanism. And for, uh, for listeners, if you've never seen the Quinton Minerals, it's a glass ampule that you snap the end off of and, uh, and drink kind of as a shot. And it's purified and uh, sterilized seawater. And it's funny because your body is made out of seawater. You have exactly the salinity of the ocean. And the ocean has exactly, at least the unpolluted ocean, 
uh, has exactly the right ratio of trace minerals for your body. So this is another way of getting trace minerals in, and uh, it's it's also a way of getting electrolytes in. You'll find a similar kind of feeling if you do something like Danger Coffee. Anything that's getting trace minerals in a form you can use, which is right. why versus Ketone dissolved is rocks. Yeah, dissolved rocks. I think are less like useful. sometimes I go to CVS or something, and I, you know, I try to avoid the supplement section. I mean, thank God it's there. People are trying, right? But you see, like the mineral section and it's just ground up rocks calcium carbonate yeah Yeah, that's not gonna work all that stuff you know what though i actually uh, am very happy to buy calcium carbonate at cvs to clean your dishes or something uh no it's because it's what binds with oxalic acid to form oxalate crystals so if you were going to cook kale or spinach you need to put a couple of those in there and melt them into the water that's cool crystallize out the oxalates so then you can eat the green mush that's left which, by the way, costs more per calorie than Wagyu ribeye. Wow. Yeah, I've, I've heard you talk about that and something I've talked about with Daniel Vitalis. And, you know, I don't care if people eat animals or not. Like we were talking about in the beginning, whatever makes you happy if you're not hurting other people, like go nuts. But if you think about an acre of land, like the deaths per calorie, right? Oh. <laughs> like to grow enough yeah. kale or potatoes or whatever it is, like how many creatures have to be killed to get a plate full of food that's equal in calorie to a steak versus that one death? I, I'm pretty sure. It's I, really interesting. I'm pretty sure I introduced that concept. I, I never saw it written. Well, about it's a before. good. It's a good concept. Well, it, it yeah. wasn't that I invented it. It was that on that same trip when I first had yak butter tea. Yeah. That was my introduction to what became bulletproof coffee. I was studying at monasteries with monks and one of the rules was no killing and so i asked the head lama and tibet buddhists love arguing like that's how they learn and it's how they they maintain calmness in the nervous system while being challenged like that's part of the the state they're looking for equanimity so i'm like hey you say no killing you have on your prayer pole a yak skin so you're a hypocrite and he starts laughing he goes one death feeds everyone and i had just gone off being a vegan like a raw <laughs> vegan before that trip. I'm not going to be a raw vegan in Tibet uh-huh. eating like raw yak. Like there's no, there's nothing to eat here. So it was his conversation with me that inspired me to write that first post about deaths per calorie and to talk about deaths per calorie. Oh, did bull- you do a blog post about yeah, that? Yeah, it was on the no. Bulletproof Diet. The oh, deaths okay, per calorie cool. here is the lowest anywhere. And I have not seen it written about before then, but maybe someone did. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I've been pounding on that drum forever because I care as much as vegans do. Um, about animal welfare. I just understand that something's going to die for me to eat. And I would like the thing that died to have had a good life and to have contributed to the environment instead of taken from it. And when you look at what happens with grass-fed agriculture, having been a farmer and done the work, there's no table scraps in my house. They're chicken food. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right. There's no wasted anything. The extra lamb... The fat from the lambs that you can't eat because there's too much of it and it's too strongly flavored, it gets fed to the pigs. And it makes the pigs' fats, the pigs are healthier and then their fat is healthier, right? Everything is a cycle and all of it is about making thicker and thicker and thicker soil. That's so true, I can get down with that. But the idea of, you know, just mowing down a bunch of of little cute bunnies so I can have a fake burger sponsored by Monsanto, <laughs> like screw that noise. Like, like that is bad. Yeah. And well, it, that's, yeah. It, we all know factory farming is horrific. Oh. In fact, that was one of the, the main impetus for my becoming a vegetarian. I watched this film. It was narrated by Joaquin Phoenix. Oh God. It was like a, a very militant. Oh, the vegan, vegan propaganda ones. There's a bunch well, of this is, out there. This is OG. I mean, this yeah. is back in the late nineties, early two thousands. And it was all of this um, hidden camera footage from slaughterhouses and stuff 
I mean, just horrific, nightmarish abuse of these animals. And, and then I was out. I'm like, I can't participate in this. But I, I didn't know that, I mean, maybe regenerative agriculture then was just random farmers here and there that were old school. It wasn't a thing like it, thankfully, yep. is becoming now. But that was, that was the turning point for me where I just, I can't do this. And then I got sick and realized, wow, I don't, you know, it's either me or them. I got to eat me. Yeah. But I think many of us don't think about just that factory farming is, is not only in the animal sector, right? Factory farms also make vegetables. I mean, if you go in Central California, you have this drought because of all the almond trees, like yeah, all the went nut to, trees. I went, I went to high school in Central California there. A huge drought, the nut trees. And also, I mean, the, there are vegans who won't eat a fig because it turns out that a wasp dies inside every fig that you eat. Really? In order to fertilize it. Each, each species of fig has its own species of wasp, but that's what fertilizes it. And it crawls in there and it dies carrying. It's part of the life cycle of the wasp and the fig. But for some reason that makes figs not vegetarian enough. But it's okay. <laughs> are, you, are you being serious? I am being 100% serious. Oh, man. Okay, this is how militant the vegan movement... Okay, I was a vegan, okay? Like, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I wasn't one that said no figs, uh, but I was very, very careful with being a vegan when I was, you know, just enthralled with a story that wasn't reality. And, and also, it's okay to eat almonds, even though cabillions uh, of honeybees are enslaved and die to make almonds. They, they have these crates of them that are really abused and just moved around instead of being treated in a much better way. And, and it affects the bee stress and all this. That's okay, because bees aren't as cute as bunnies. I, I don't understand it. Well, this is the thought experiment. And I've, people listening are like, I know we've heard this, Luke, but there'll be some new people that haven't, but it's interesting. I just, I love the human psyche and just what makes us tick is that we have an arbitrary hierarchical system for animals, right? In, in the terms of like the suffering we're willing to cause for our own sustenance. And it seems to be that the closer that animals are to humans, the more killing them bothers us. So we don't care about killing a bunch of grasshoppers and snakes and gophers and stuff to grow some vegetables, right? And we won't kill our dog or cat because they live with us and we're kind of habituated to live alongside them. But the idea of killing a bear is the one that probably triggers people the most. And, and bears are probably closest to a dog and closest to us, right? So it's weird how we just, we put this arbitrary value system on what we're willing to kill or, or not. It's not arbitrary. What is it? I would think you would know this because you're a metaphysical guy. Okay, we have... Okay, now we're going to take off my only biohacking hack because spirituality, it's a part of the world of biohacking. It always has been from, from the genesis of the idea for it. We have... Every species has an information field. This goes back to information field or morphogenic fields. We have a, a sacred contract with farm animals. And a spirit contract with other animals like bears and wolves and eagles. And we all know it. And we know it not because we thought of it. We know it because our meat operating system that operates in those realms knows it. And that's why it feels wrong to do it. Right. And because it feels wrong, we make up all sorts of rational stories to match the feeling. No, it just feels wrong because we made an agreement with wolves probably 400,000 years ago that we would nourish them if they nourished and protected us. And we made the same agreement with cows and with sheep and with pigs and with other food animals. And they signed off on that contract the same way that we did. And we are in violation of that contract when we, when we mishandle, when we mistreat, when we torture those animals. That is wrong. 
It's also wrong to not allow those animals to do their sacred duty to nourish us because there would be no domesticated pigs. There would be no dogs. There would be no house cats. So this is a relationship that our like species that. are in. You sound like my wife. I don't know if you know, she has a book called Animal Power. I'll oh, really? Get a copy for you. I've, yeah. I've, I've done like initiatory <laughs> shamanic training. Like yeah. I've done high level I've training. never connected those two though, the contract, right? And just how yeah. we, we've evolved in these, in these agreements with animals. Because it's interesting to your point, we won't eat a horse, but they're a utility partner animal for humankind, yeah. right? I mean, we call power horse power. We'll eat horses if we're really hungry, but I we mean, don't yeah. like it. And some places you can use tradition or habit or culture to override those feelings. Like in France, horses actually you know something that you eat. Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's a it's considered a food animal. I mean, if you think about like yeah. we eat deer, elk, moose, mm-hmm. uh, horses pretty close to that and most cultures are like no don't touch the horse that's because horses serve us and we protect horses we yeah have we have agreement. a different different agreement yeah, yeah that's cool and, but in some cultures the force of culture can outweigh the the contract we have with that animal and some people listening to dave i thought you were a computer science guy what do you mean show me the writing on the contract take the right plant medicines do the right neurofeedback or study the right lineage, lineages fast in a cave do a sweat be curious and maybe you too can become aware of this or you could do what i did Maybe you should make a regenerative agriculture farm and you should tell the sheep that it's time and watch them walk towards where they're going to be butchered without having to be led. And you tell me that that's not real. Wow. Damn, son. Um, I want a few more things covered here in this conversation, my friend. There's a bunch of things I just want to catch up with you on. I'm going to save till the end if we have time. Let me check my time. Okay, we, we're getting good and they'll be fast. Just shit that I learned from you, modafinil and stuff. I want to just get your current take on a couple of those. All but, right. But I do, want, I do want to ask something about, um, you know, you mentioned the mindset piece and the, the spiritual piece of this, that we're, we're not just a machine in our meat OS, that if we want to truly be fulfilled and, and live a life of purpose here, that we have to have, you know, an internal, we're invited to have an internal wellness also, right? Which is a lot of what I like to talk about. Something I've... Um, observed over the years within myself and I've worked on and I think made a lot of progress with is in terms of all of the physical biohacking stuff is the tendency to self-obsess and almost use all of the practices and habits and hacks as as a, a form of escapism, right? From not wanting or being able to actually just be truly present with oneself or deal with the deeper underlying issues that we have emotionally. So for example, if something's on my mind and I know that it needs to be resolved, say in a relationship or just some you know, emotional thing that I need to work through, I mean, I hopefully don't do this anymore, but at a certain point I became aware that I'll essentially run away from the things that I don't want to deal with or face by you know, going on the exercise bike and the red light thing, taking an ice bath, taking a sauna, doing all the things, taking all the supplements, making the smoothies, making a meal, like all of this time and attention going into the fortification and preservation of the physical body, which in and of itself is a positive thing. But what about when those practices start to become an escape? Does any of that make sense? It makes great sense. What part of you is doing the running away? Yeah, I'm not not doing it currently um, because I I became aware of it. Yeah, I think uh, just not wanting to feel discomfort. Okay. So when you say you became, right, say there's some, something on one's mind, you know, there's yeah. a there's a, a conflict in a relationship or something unresolved, 
And it's like, oh, we don't want to think about that because it's an uncomfortable, maybe okay. neg- negative emotional state, that, that kind of thing. When you say you became aware of it, what part of you was hiding it from your awareness? Uh, I, I would say the ego, right? The, the operating system that is trying to keep the body alive. There you and, go. And doesn't want to feel anything uncomfortable. It, both of the things It doesn't want to be threatened that. by yeah. it, that. It's the meat operating system both times that was causing it. Oh, the right, escapism, right. <laughs> right? That not being aware of it and then not wanting to face it. Those are basic survival mechanisms from your body. Your body's saying it takes energy to face these things. If you use energy, you might not have enough energy later. You're lazy, right? And it feels like there's not enough energy because there probably isn't because your metabolism doesn't work very well because you're eating the wrong stuff because you're out of shape, et cetera, et cetera. So it makes doing the awareness work feel as hard as going to the gym, which is why we don't do it. Right, right. right. So there's a couple of ways you can you can make the operating system desire to do this. The easiest way is the laziness principle in Smarter Not Harder, where you're like, oh, the operating system likes lazy stuff. I'm going to remind it that I'm saving a bunch of time with this more effective method. Therefore, it'll want to do it because it actually, it, it looks at savings as being more effective than work. That's why coupons feel so big. Look, it was on sale. I saved 100 bucks. <laughs> right. like, it felt like you saved 500 bucks, but you only saved 100 bucks. It's the feeling there that matters. So what's going on with all that stuff? Yeah, it's easy to use this as a distraction, but the cool thing is do it anyway. So here's what happens. If you make biohacking your distraction instead of Netflix, over time, you will increase your body's resilience and energy production capacity. One day you're going to wake up and your body's going to have so much energy that doing the awareness work doesn't feel insurmountable and then you'll do it. And then you'll realize, oh, that's a pattern. And then you'll do the work to fix it. And you're on a different path. And that's why the last couple of chapters of Smarter Not Harder are about spiritual stuff. The thing yeah, that works I, noticed, most I noticed that. I was, I was hoping you yeah. were going to wrap, wrap it in there. And you did, thankfully. Yeah. You got it. I was reading your mind using my, yeah. my, my cow brainwaves. Well, I think those of us that have been around for a while, you realize like you, you can get abs and still hate your life. You know what I mean? It's just like being physically healthy in and of itself, aside from the the, the uh, extra energy that you just described that you get to then do the work, but there's no amount of health that in and of itself makes your problems go away. It <laughs> Emotional make, problems. It just you know? makes it easier yeah. to face them or it, it makes you, kind of like modafinil, which you also wanted me to weave in. Yeah, uh, I warn people, when you take modafinil, it makes you more of what you are. So if you're a dick, you're going to be a big dick on modafinil, for real. Yeah. Right. So if you're also working on your awareness and patterns like that, it'll make you more aware. So you just, you have to be careful because if you're just a total jerk, you can just be a big jerk. And the same thing comes with, you know, if, if you, you're just, you know, absolutely trauma driven and obsessed and reactive and you use that to get in good shape and to have a ton of energy. By the way, most people don't have a ton of energy when they use trauma to get in good shape. They're burned out. But let's say that you're one of those people who has lots of energy and you're still traumatized. You'll be a high energy chaos machine. <laughs> and it's right. not going to end well. What happens usually is, as you well know, at a certain point, you hit rock bottom. This happens with addiction. I have a, a friend um, in the space who's going through it right now. He's been arrested multiple times. And it's like, at a certain point, you hit a rock bottom that's hard enough that your meat operating system realizes it's a survival thing. And then it grudgingly 
parts the veils of awareness and shows you what's really going on. And then you do the real deep work to heal the trauma that was behind the addiction. Yeah. And it's, it's hard because until that happens, you, and you know this because you've been an addict and you have friends who've been addicts, they'll look you in the eye and they'll lie. It's not even them choosing to do it. It's <laughs> their meat operating system tells uh, them whatever needs to be true for them to get more of their substance. Yeah, and yeah. then they believe that story and then they tell you right to your face and you know they're lying. It's, and, it's tragic. Yeah. And it's easy for us to think they're a bad person. They're choosing, no, they're not choosing to lie. Their operating system lies to them and they believe it. And they make up a story to make it true. And they tell you the story and they fervently believe the story. It's the same thing narcissists do. It's different than what sociopaths do though. It's sad. The sociopaths it's know they're being evil. Oh yeah, they're choosing but it. But they do it anyway. <laughs> and, they, and they get off on it, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's why we make wood chippers. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Put sociopaths in them. What's your uh, current take on on the topic of EMF in general? Is it worse than, than the general public thinks or not as bad as us that are advocates for EMF safety thought? I think EMFs are like medical procedures. They're kind of unavoidable. Over the over the course of your life, you're going to go to the dentist sometimes, something's going to break, you're going to get to choose which medical procedure. You might do some preventative medical procedures, um, but they really shouldn't be forced on you. Uh, EMFs are terribly useful. They have absolutely improved the quality of life on the planet in a huge way. All of Africa has access to the world's information because of EMFs. That's kind of cool. We can look at other galaxies because of EMFs. So could it be that each EMF or each use of EMF has pros and has cons? It's actually real. And so you will find people who are terrified of EMFs because they forgot the pros. And you will find many, many more people, especially in big tech companies, who are completely blind to the cons because if they admit one con, they will be sued as much as Monsanto is being sued right now. Right, totally. Right. Like the people that make the AirPods that like shoot Wi-Fi through your brain. <laughs> yeah, I don't happen to own those because I don't think the the risk reward is there. But yeah. I do use a mobile phone. I just put on airplane mode when I'm asleep and I don't carry it near my balls. Going back to the very start of, of my blog, this is 2011 now. So this is 12 years ago. And long before that even, I put my, uh, my cell phone in a pocket like on and I uh, like in cargo pants uh, against my right femur and I never carried it in my front pocket next to my junk because that just seems well the studies are there it's just it's a bad idea uh, and what I found though when I did my first um, was it a DEXA scan MRI I don't remember a while ago the part of my femur where my phone sat turned on all the time was 10% less dense on my right leg than my left leg it actually drove a reduction in bone density from that much EMF exposure so now I make it an effort to, where's my phone? It's around here somewhere, but it's on airplane mode because I'm not going to be using it during the thing. So I don't care if it's behind me because there's very few EMFs coming off of it. So I am not afraid of my phone. I also choose to not bathe myself in it. Do I have Wi-Fi at the house? Yeah. Do I unplug it at night? Yeah. Do I not turn it on during the day unless I need it? Yeah. But my neighbors have some Wi-Fi. I have not yet covered my house in aluminum foil. I have. <laughs> uh, oh, by the way, well, the bedrooms at least. Okay, um, yeah. I, I did when I lived in the Bay Area. I had built a Faraday cage that my office was at, uh, which is kind of what you're describing. Yeah. Uh, in a neighborhood with a lot of Wi-Fi, I would, or if I was in a high-rise, God, hell yeah, I would, I would do EMF blocking paint. But you have to look at your total exposure. Where I am now, I only see one other wireless signal. It's not that strong. I just don't care. 
I'm getting wireless from the sky. There's harp going on in Alaska. It's unavoidable. Yeah, you know about harp? That's funny. Oh, yeah. I, I know about all the crazy <laughs> stuff. I know about harp for 20 years. I didn't, uh, I didn't know you were cons- uh, conspiracy theory. That's not conspiracy. That's I mean, it's science. a reality. Like anyone who labels that as conspiracy is just well, kind it, of it's not blank. that harp exists because you know it you does can exist. See it. Yeah, it's like what is their purpose of oh, building it and I, using it? That's not, where it gets into conspiracy. I'm not claiming I know the purpose. Like yeah. that. That's a like unless you've read some documents, I haven't. I don't know the purpose. What I do know is that it has biological effects because well, we can measure it and because we know how the system works. Yeah. So, um, and that's the difference between a conspiracy theory. Like, I know it was the Illuminati's uncle, right? And, and like, actually, you don't know that. Like, you're you're getting into the land of paranoia, right? And this is something that that people who are doing nefarious things they rely on that part of our operating system to go in that direction. So they'll feed stupid stories so that you look like idiots. The reality is, there's something here that's anomalous. We don't know necessarily why or who. We can make educated guesses. But instead, people jump to conclusions and we end up like going to pizza joints that don't have basements and like bad things happen. So um, what you can do is you can say there is a very large low-frequency antenna array in Alaska that's been used for some kind of military reason. We don't know what. Some people think it's this. Some people think it's that. The military hasn't said, so it's hard to say exactly what it's for. Uh, And we know that it generates waves, EMF waves, that affect biology and the ionosphere of the planet. Yeah. So those are provable facts. Also, you can see them, the waves in the sky, literally in the clouds or oftentimes the fake clouds, right? Like when I was a kid in the 70s, clouds didn't look like that. Yeah. They weren't like waffles. You know yeah, I mean? clouds sure have changed a lot. But, you know, and so what, what they'll just, they'll say it's conspiracy theory stuff. But you just have to understand the fact that something's happening that's anomalous is different than knowing exactly what it is. And when totally. you claim to know, you're feeding the bad guys. Totally. Absolutely. Right? That's the whole QAnon, like fantasy world yeah. conspiracy. I, me personally, I just have a gut check on certain occurrences, right? Like 9-11 was probably the big one for me. I don't know what happened, but what I do know for sure, because I have a brain inside my head that's somewhat functional, is that what we were told happened is yeah. not... But, Correct. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and that—that's the big thing. And and to say you know is kind of crazy. What Unless I, you were in on it, you really yeah, don't know. That's the thing. And it's and really, if you're in on it, you're a bad you're a bad person. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe you're not even a bad person. They just have your family hostage. I, I we just right. don't know. People right. do bad things. And it it's really weird because what I know is that buildings don't fall down by themselves. And the one building that fell down, number seven, that wasn't hit when all the other ones went. Okay. Bullshit. Okay, that's all we need to know. Yeah. And like, we have a government, they're not doing their job because they should have investigated. And the same thing will happen with other things. And I mean, even with uh, um, the JFK assassination, pretty much recently, all the papers that came out, pretty much is as good as the CIA saying, yeah, yeah, we did it. Totally. But, okay. And that kind of guy on my show, um, this is one of the most profound things that ever happened in a thousand episodes. This guy's the father of attachment theory named Daniel P. Brown. He's also... The, Harvard's leading expert on hypnosis. And I'm just interviewing him about attachment theory. And he's like, oh, yeah. I spent 100 hours with Sirhan Sirhan, which is the guy who killed, was it RFK, I think? Yeah, yeah. And he said, Dave, and this is near the end of Daniel's, you know, academic career. He's getting very old. And he said, I know that he was hypnotized because when I did the standard hypnotic induction, he dropped into a crouch automatically and started talking about hit points on people and how long it would take to bleed out. He's like, he was programmed. The Manchurian candidate is real. This is Harvard's top hypnotist. This, you can't make this up. He's talking to me. Wow. Right? 
And he goes, we know when it happened. We know who did it. We know where it happened. And I'm like, mind blown. Like, they should do a documentary. He goes, they did. Did a documentary in the 80s. They took out my eight minutes in the documentary and they audited my taxes for seven years. Oh, my God. Guys, I'm pretty sure something other than what we've been told happened. I don't know what it is, but that was direct evidence, as direct as I know how to make it. So, okay, there's all sorts of stuff we don't know about in the world. There's bad people doing bad things. There's also good people doing good things, some of which are visible, thanks for the stuff you're doing, and some of which is entirely invisible. And I know some of those people too. So yeah, the world's always been like that. There's bad people, there's good people. But don't be someone who feels like you know more than you know, because that's dangerous. Yeah, I like what you said too, that it it discredits people that are making honest and legitimate inquiries to find out what's happening, right? It's like, yeah. if, it, it, and this is the whole CIA thing when they came up with that term conspiracy theorist. It's so brilliant because they can just label that on anyone now that is just simply asking questions saying hey this doesn't add up excuse me could we clarify x y and z conspiracy theorists shut them down you know i just thought of something interesting what the counter words for that it's reality theorist so if someone's like you're that. a conspiracy theorist but you're a reality theorist that's good like, you know what i use conspiracy analyst oh that's an interesting yeah, one. like you know, look at the data and know that you'll never truly know but you can put some clues together but at the end of the day too i mean especially after the past three years it's like these things are so easy to obsess on because they're for me they're just so fascinating just the human condition right and that the weird shit that humans do especially the ones that Mm -hmm. control other humans it's just bizarre and interesting to me but the fear side of it is where i think it gets deleterious to our well-being because these things that we're theorizing are totally out of our control like you're not going to stop the cia from doing mk ultra because you post about it on instagram you think well i (laughs) guess yeah given that they're probably running it yeah i still do that until i get shadow banned and then i move it to telegram i think the elon stuff that's coming out at twitter that's pretty cool that's happening at every social media company i felt it during the last couple of years that's even, pretty cool even though i'm vicarious they didn't honor my true identity <laughs> i saw um on twitter <laughs> last night uh some of these hearings that are going on with some of the, the ex-twitter staff i mean it was very satisfying to just see oh. them squirm and just get grilled now who knows if there's actually <laughs> going to be prosecution and any accountability you can't prosecute them they're indemnified for the work they did it at twitter and basically they do they were bad people doing a bad job not being held accountable that one lady who just did whatever one political party wanted because she had the powers of the company that is a bad human being by my measure yeah. of good and bad yeah. and she probably thought she was getting even with someone or some sort of trauma response. I don't know what it is, but that was that was a destruction of basic human liberties on a scale that's kind of disturbing. Very disturbing. But all of this stuff about conspiracy theory, you're like, what does that have to do with your book? The reason <laughs> conspiracy theories work is they're taking advantage of your meat operating system. There's now enough evidence to understand your body will make some things look and feel bigger and better than they are. And it'll make some things look less attractive than they actually are. It modifies the reality that you see and feel based on what it wants you to do. But if you have enough energy and you have the training, you also, as the slower but wise human sitting inside the system that's doing that to your reality, you have the ability to choose if your energy is high enough. 
And if your energy is low enough because you're mineral depleted because they just took away the most important animal foods on the planet. By the way, that, if they succeed in trying to remove... Why are they trying to go after eggs? Because it's a cheap source of protein. If you starve people of protein and minerals, they're highly programmable because oh, okay. you can't. It puts the meat operating system in charge instead of the human. Got it. Like that's why it's called danger coffee. Because who knows what you might do when you have enough minerals? <laughs> I mean, you you might tell a bureaucrat that you're going to eat eggs even if they don't want you to. Oh, and man. if that fails, you might eat the bureaucrat because they're made out of protein. Like that's why they don't want you to have eggs because you might do what you want to do. And so I'm, I'm all over people understanding you have a system in you that runs for a third of a second before you get to sense reality and it changes the reality you sense and it's not always right. Government agencies and marketing firms have known this for a long time and they call it PR and they call it marketing. And you can use marketing for you and you can use marketing against you. The laziness principle in here is using marketing for you that you're in charge of. Hey, Save a hundred bucks on this pair of shoes. Meanwhile, you're really spending three hundred dollars, but the savings was so attractive, you did it. Well, why don't you do that for your workout? Like that—that's what this. This is biohacking. What hackers do is we take closed systems that are probably doing bad things you don't know about, and we rip them apart, we break them, and we make open systems that put us in charge of our own stuff. And that's why it's called biohacking, not something else. Because I am a computer hacker. We did that with operating systems. Linux is actually enabling this conversation right now. It's open source from one man, Linus Torvalds, who got pissed off that Microsoft wouldn't tell him what was going on in their software, so he wrote his own. (laughs) And he got hundreds of thousands of people to help. This is what we're doing in biohacking right now. That is why it is called biohacking. That's why I named it that. I've always been a fan of pomegranate, but I had no idea it contained one of the most powerful compounds in the world for mitochondria. It's called urolithin A, and it's incredible for mitophagy. Or put more simply, the way your body discards old dysfunctional mitochondria. The thing is that you'd have to eat ridiculous amounts of pomegranate to get a clinically effective dose of this urolithin A. That's why I get mine in a product called MitoPure, available in a berry powder, protein powder, and soft gels. Super easy to take and adopt into your daily routine. MitoPure is a breakthrough postbiotic that activates your body's natural defense against aging. It's also the first product on the market to offer a precise dose of urolithin A to upgrade mitochondrial function, increase cellular energy, and improve muscle strength. MitoPure is the result of 10 years of research by scientists at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology, and its clinically proven benefits are available for the first time in the U.S. through Timeline Nutrition. To learn even more about the science of MitoPure, go back and check out episode 389 with Dr. Chris Wrench. It's a mitochondria geek out of the highest order of magnitude and helps simplify this complex topic. And in the meantime, as a special offer for you listeners, you can use the promo code LUKE10 to get 10% off any 2, 4, or 12-month MitoPure plan at TimelineNutrition.com. And by the way, I highly suggest the starter pack, which lets you try all three forms of MitoPure. Again, that's TimelineNutrition.com, and your code is LUKE10. I want to ask you a couple closing questions that are just things that, I mean, I could probably ask you at dinner, but then no one else would hear it. 
Uh, so you were one of the first guys, maybe the first guy I ever heard use the term smart drugs, right? And, and oh, no, no, and things like I that. cannot take credit for that. Um, Steve Folks was probably the first one. He wrote a, a newsletter. But I heard him on your podcast. Yeah, but he wrote a newsletter that you'd buy through the mail because there was no internet. It was called Smart Drug News in the 80s. Really? And in fact, I found old versions of that on the pre-Google internet on Usenet. And I downloaded it and it changed my life. If, I, if Steve Folks had not written the, the, all those articles, I would not have spent $1,200 on European smart drugs that turned my brain on enough to save my career. And I've thanked him for it personally. And when he got to be my mentor, I was like, holy crap. Steve Folks, F-O-W-K-E-S. And you've got, what, at least two episodes, I think, on your show with him. Maybe three. Back in the feed, yeah. He's He's an interesting guy. But getting tapped into that also probably made my productivity and just success in general grow exponentially. Oh, so good, Luke. I, I mean, we talked about that when we used to yeah, coaching because, calls together. Yeah. yeah, because man, it's like, I did a lot of damage to my brain. I mean, I started using drugs when I was in elementary school, you know? I mean, like real drugs, not just smoking weed. I was fucked when I got sober. I couldn't put words together. Still sometimes I struggle with that. But modafinil. But things like uh, modafinil, you know, I'd never heard of that. So I'd go online and get it from India or whatever and found my my a good dose, which for me is like a quarter tablet. Is yeah, 20. Like 50 milligrams is good for me. Yeah, 25. Yeah. And it's, you know, I've never gotten addicted to it. I forget about it. Sometimes I forget about it and go, oh man, I should have had a modafinil. Right. You know, I needed to really be uh, focused. Um, but there's something else that I, that I learned about from you and Bulletproof used to make it and I forget the name of it, but it had Fenibit. Uh, yeah. GABA. Uh, it was called GABA Wave. GABA Wave. I loved that stuff. And and then you guys, I think it was not appreciated that you were um, well, the, the, selling it or something. There's kind of a regulatory gray zone where it's legal, but it, they don't. It's not illegal, but no one has expressly blessed it. So the regulatory uh, view towards that had shifted from when I first launched it. So uh, it just it didn't make sense for us to do it anymore. And since that time, some more info has come out about this. Um, Venibute is what it's called, and it's just GABA, the amino acid that is also a neurotransmitter that's responsible for calming the brain. But when you add a phenyl group to it, which is a basic biochemistry molecule, it makes it much longer lived and it crosses the blood-brain barrier, especially the formula that I made. It was liposomal. So oh, it, that's why it, was, it works so it well. It was magic. Because I have a big jug of the powder Fenovit. Uh, it's, it's nice. I yeah. only take it every once in a while. I've noticed if, I, if I've taken it too often or take too yeah. much, it has side effects. Oh, it... It's actually, but I didn't know yours was liposomal. That's why yeah. it was so good. It, it also tasted like, like ass, did it not? It wasn't great. Okay, there's a reason for that. But it felt good. It did feel good. But here's the, the issue with Fenibut is that the half-life is something like 72 hours, if just from memory. So this means if you take it every day, it's not going to work. So that was why it came in individual vials and you only got enough to take it every other day. Like It was really carefully dosed. Um, and when people take it every day, it tends to build up and build up and build up because you, you realize it's there for three days. So if you keep taking it, you just get more and more and more um, because half-life doesn't mean it's gone in 72 hours. It means half of it's gone. So you end up getting incredible doses. And that, I've seen some, at least anecdotal occurrences, that that's not a good deal. I've heard and stories that, and that people, you could yeah. get hooked on it. So I don't want yeah. that to happen. Yeah. So once that data came out, it, I was like, you know what? This is, this is something, even though I, I put some, some protections in place to make sure that people use it responsibly, when the regulatory issues changed, I said no. So I just warned people, 
that's one that can radically improve your sleep, but it's like a once a week kind of thing. Yeah. And if you're starting to rely on it every night, you might have a problem. I agree. Thank you for for tapping on that. And if you ever make any of the good stuff on the download, let me know. <laughs> another <laughs> another thing I heard about from you was uh, Depronil. Oh, that's and an old is, line smart drug. It's so good, right? Yeah. And but I'm not forgot, if you're on ayahuasca. Very important. It, it, you could die from that. Noted. I, I don't have any around, but I was I was using it periodically I, for a couple of years. Stuff. Yeah, it's very mood elevating. What what I understood about that is that um, it was a Parkinson's drug and basically increased your dopamine production. I just noticed it, it put me in a good mood. I mean, that's it. It's actually, uh, it has been used for Parkinson's. It's actually an antidepressant, an old school antidepressant, oh, okay. an MAO inhibitor. And that's why you don't mix it with DMT. Yeah, <laughs> it, DMT has enough MAO inhibitors in it, but if you fully right. inhibit MAO and you take DMT, you get a serotonin crisis and, and literally it could kill you. Rapid heart rate, wow. exploding arteries, like bad stuff. Okay. So you have to be really careful. But- Low dose Depranil, like like microdose almost, is something I wrote about in my anti-aging book in uh, Superhuman. It's something where it increases um, the receptivity of the dopamine receptors in your neurons, which is why uh, it works okay. for. But that's why you liked it because you have a history of addiction. Yeah. So you already have issues with dopamine receptors. So the reason you like your cold plunge so much is because you have a dopamine problem. <laughs> That's why I do it more than any yeah. person I know. And I'm in Austin where everyone does ice baths. Totally. And you're in you're 52. So what that means is if you were to do um, in your 50s, either two or possibly three drops of liquid Depranil a day, it's going to be a profoundly effective neurologically protective thing for you that makes you happier and makes you live longer. So it's one of those anti-aging drugs that few people talk about. The generic is selegiline. But it's right, super right. important. I mean, it's, it's also kind of one of those gray zone, like dark web things. Like you can't go no, on. No, it's a, prescription. You get prescriptions. Oh, you can? Yeah. Oh, well, I went on the dark web. And got it. Yeah. I forgot, probably, I forgot about it. Way. But when I was prepping my notes for you, I was like, man, I learned yeah. some super cool shit from him way back yeah, in the day. I mean, we used to have what, like every two weeks, you'd have a coaching call with me yeah. when you're learning yeah. about biohacking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then what about. Uh, I know you're, you've been for a long time big on the spermidine and urolithin A. Um, yeah. Are you, still, are you still into those? Oh, totally. So I couldn't buy spermidine and I knew all the studies on anti-aging I and mean, it is a, a big thing. So when I was writing Superhuman, you couldn't buy spermidine in the US, but you could buy probiotics from Japan that raise spermidine. So I bought those and they don't even have English writing on them. And I was taking that and I had some lab grade spermidine that tasted like its name, it was gross. Uh, so I was trying to raise that so I could live longer. Uh, and then finally, after the book came out, a company came around um, that marketed spermidine in a concentrated form in the US, which is really, really cool. And even now, Brian uh, from Kernel has been making the waves lately, talking about his radical anti-aging program. I'm like, oh, look, there's spermidine and collagen protein in there. Like, yeah, I, I, you know, go Brian. This is amazing. Um, so... Uh, what you're, what you'll find is that spermidine is, it's a mitochondrial enhancer, so it makes you actually perform better and it makes you live longer. So, okay, I'm down. I will take spermidine most days for the rest of my life because I want a very long life and I want to feel good the whole time, and I can afford it. It's not cheap. It's not yeah. expensive compared to what it used to be. It was 200 bucks a vial when I started really? taking it. Now it's like whatever, 50 bucks for a month's supply. But then. We have urolithin A, same thing. 10 plus years of research, massive studies. You cannot eat enough pomegranates. And even if I ate the pomegranates, I don't have the bacteria that makes urolithin A, but it improves 
mitochondrial performance, improves cognitive performance, it's neuroprotective. These are just novel ingredients that magically do things in the body. So I love them both. They're part of the world of biohacking and I, I helped to usher them in. But the people who did the work were hardcore university scientists working for more than a decade to understand these molecules. Yeah, cool. It's All what right. the drug industry should be if the petrochemical industry hadn't taken it over 80 years ago. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Well, that's good. I wanted to get updated on those because I, I take both of them. I feel great on yeah. both, you know? so It's, but, it's not cheap. I mean, let's face it. Yeah. You could spend all of your money and time on biohacking. The reason I wrote Smarter Not Harder is to tell you if you only have 50 bucks or 40 bucks to spend, vitamin Dake, a multi-mineral, and your trace minerals, biggest bang for the buck of anything yeah. you can Well, that's take. why I like you put yeah. that, uh, you know, what was it called? The starter level, yeah. you know, after each chapter, there's recommendations on the categories. I think that's important. Last thing I'm going to ask you here, uh, what's, what's your current um, perspective on microdosing? Psilocybin, LSD, this, this kind of thing. Do you, are you into it personally? Do you, do you, you know see what? people deriving benefit from it? Oh, a long time ago, I read a blog post for Bulletproof for this. You know, I, I, I was an early voice chatting about that. In fact, I remember these huge debates with, um, with my team probably in 2014. I'm, like, I'm writing this article about microdosing and one of the employees was like, you can't write about that. That's the same as being a drug dealer. And it was like really triggering for this person. And, and I they just, probably needed to microdose psilocybin. You know, no, no comment. You know, <laughs> maybe they're listening, but the, the the idea there was actually I was like, well, here Fox News is talking about it. like this is something people are doing, and James Fadiman's work. Um, I was aware of it, and so I decided I would just do it every day for a month, which is a little bit aggressive. And um, since then, it's become more and more popular. It does increase uh, synaptogenesis via increasing BDNF in the brain, and make you you build new uh, synapses in the brain. However, there are many ways to raise BDNF. That's why I have forty years of Zen. You can use the electricity. You can use exercise. You can use cold exposure. You can use a variety of smart drugs to do it. What I found was that for performance enhancement, I would rather have aniracetam, phenylparacetam, and maybe a little modafinil, and maybe one milligram of nicotine, and a cup of danger coffee, and I am a great golden writing god, and I will write a New York Times bestseller. Like I will. Is that I, how you cranked all these books? We well, had a call about that the yeah. other day. I'm like, dude, I've been working on one book in the time that you wrote two books. Well, I, I also run electricity <laughs> over my brain to get into a certain state, and then it just flows in. It's really. I magic. forgot about the racetams. I heard about that from you too, and um, <laughs> I, I find my secret sauce is paracetam. You just like the good old school paracetam. Yeah. There's a class of people who love that. I mean, that. it's, yeah. I, mean, I did anorastam, a couple of the other ones, but I have like a big jug of paracetam. And before interviews, I'll do like a teaspoon of that in water. And it absolutely gives me better, <laughs> better verbal acuity yeah. and word recall, undeniably. Without any, without being stimulated, I don't find it stimulating. I just, those words that I'm like, um, uh, where is it? Where is it? It's like, oh, I'm right here. Much more easily. Every brain responds differently to different racetams. And uh, I started out with paracetam for years. It was my favorite one. And then uh, I, start, I tried all the pramaracetams and oxaracetam and all these different flavors. And I ended up on, if I want extra energy, phenylparacetam is like very solid, but not as good as modafinil, but it, it works very effectively. And anaracetam increases memory I.O., so for me, those two, with or without modafinil, and I'm like, I am dialed in. And everything is at my fingertips. And I take a bunch of other cognitive enhancing herbs and stuff I've made and all this stuff. But when I do those, it, it's the words come 
I can see the pictures in my head and it's just better. But I also have a highly trained brain with six months and 40 years of Zen behind it, right? That's a part of it. Yeah. I've run electricity back and forth across my ears enough time to enhance the, the lining of the nerves in my brain, right? And I do my best to, to share all this stuff with people, but it is a lot. I have 3,000 articles on my blog and 1,000 hours of video. And I just do my best to make it searchable because, yeah, there's a lot. And that's why I write the big books. Like this, most of what I'm talking about is in Head, uh, yeah, Headstrong is my brain book. To try and make it absorbable because it's overwhelming for yeah. the average listener. And I get overwhelmed and I kind of know my stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Well, that's when it comes back. One. That's when it comes back to the, the starter level, right? Of just starting with the basics because yeah. for a lot of people, just getting sun in their eyes first thing in the morning is such a huge game changer. I mean, that's, that will change your life just doing that. And talk about free. I mean, depends, you know, how cloudy it is. But even on a cloudy day, you still benefit. You have to move out of Canada. <laughs> yeah, or San Francisco probably, yeah. yeah. Um, all right, very last question here. Um, I just covered some kind of niche, you know, substances and stuff there. What am I missing? What's the latest and greatest or what's coming next in terms of like, you know, smart drugs or, or any other kind of hack that maybe sure. I or other people aren't aware of and that you're privy to because of your position of finding a lot of this stuff first? There's a couple of cool things uh, going on. One is... AI is starting to pay dividends for biohacking. Uh, within the realm of what we're doing at Upgrade Labs, uh, even within 40 years of Zen, we just have enough data. Like we have, according to my neuroscientists, uh, we have the largest high-resolution uh, brain scan database of high-performing brains and a lot of other like lifestyle information around it. So we can start correlating behaviors with brain patterns in an unprecedented way. And now the tech is there quickly enough to do it. So on the neuroscience front, there's an explosion of neuroscience companies. Um, I'm meeting with a guy in a couple of days who finally is commercializing HEG, which is a way to move blood to the front of your brain consciously. I've done oh, a lot of this. Is this, this a, the Mendy? It is, yeah. Oh yeah, I just got one of those. So I, I launched at Bulletproof the first year I started the company, something called the Upgraded Focus Brain Trainer that used that tech. Oh, wow. And I always wanted to commercialize. I didn't have time, so Mendy is doing it. Cool. Which is really, really neat. I've, I bought one of the first hundred that came out of Kickstarter or whatever That's it was. That's awesome. Yeah, I met uh, Mo, Mohan, I think is his name. Yeah. Uh, it, at a dinner Moho, the other night. Yeah. yeah, Moho, yeah. And he's like, yeah, we'll send you one. And I text him. I was like, were you serious? And he sent me one. It's on my desk. You got to give it a try. Sounds really impressive, right. though. I mean, he was... He's not a scientist, but he's like, oh, we're working with Stanford and here and there. And I mean, there's a lot of data to support its efficacy. I spent 100 hours doing that type of training with a rinky-dink $1,200 system hooked up to a laptop. It was like <laughs> a blue, there's a little picture of me, like a blue headband. And it, it, actually, uh, it actually does work, cool. especially for ADHD. Um, awesome. So the ability to pay attention with that. I'm going to throw that thing on when I write yeah. Uh, no. Do you wear it while you're no, doing No, no, no. Oh, okay. You, you play the game, you pay attention, and you might actually be a little tired afterwards. You're training yourself with a new skill. It, it's another form of training. So, so that's not for that. Like when I did 40 years of Zen, I mean, who knows because of the sleep deprivation model there, but I would be... At the be, time, we don't have that anymore. I would be so really, radically faster than before. Yeah. I would be really tired after the training. Like yeah. my brain was just done. I, I enjoyed it though. I mean, I, I like going all in like that. 
You know, yep. and it was in Sedona. So yeah, yeah we, we had a little cabin on the creek. We and stopped. Cool. We stopped the sleep deprivation thing. And right now, so you don't have the windows covered. <laughs> that um, was the other thing. You couldn't tell if it was no, day or night that, or that, how long you've been in that, there. That's old school. So so where where we are with Forty Years of Zen is a complete hardware and software rewrite from from what we did back then. People typically hit their their peak on the third day. Whereas before it took five days out of a seven-day program. So we cut the program to five oh, wow. days, but it's five days with more results more quickly and more total results. Uh, and we're doing a variety of technologies. So it is very different than when you oh, did 40 cool. years. Are you still uh, trying to upregulate alpha or are you doing different it, brainwave stuff? Upregulating alpha, it's a very old way of looking. It's just the easiest thing to measure in the brain is alpha. The first thing we ever noticed uh, okay. in the brain. So what we're doing instead of upregulating alpha is we're choosing very specific ranges of alpha that do different things and teaching your brain to do those in the right order. So it's sort of like saying, are you, it, was your music based on the C note or the B note? And like, well, actually, it's, it's a, a chord. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's Afro Caribbean or it's, it's whatever it is. Yeah. So it's like, how do we teach the brain to do that instead of just make, make a note? So it's alpha training is kind of a 90s technology because at least raising the amount of C note was good. Now you can make a louder note, but you know, maybe you should be playing the keys on your instrument while you do that. That's where it is now in terms of the mathematical models. We've got seven patents on new technologies for neurofeedback. Wow. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a different experience than the one you awesome. did. You, what you did was very primitive, and that was how I started the program. I, I, still, I still benefited. I still, yeah, you know, it I, worked. I, I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have built yeah. the program if it didn't work. Yeah, I, I've benefited a lot from neurofeedback. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely been one of the things that really me too. got me back online. All right, dude. Well, we did it. Thank you so much for your generosity of time. I have... Always so many things to discuss. Thank you for just giving me the download on, on all the things. I want to encourage everyone to go get smarter, not harder. And what I notice about that, I always feel cheesy, like plugging someone's shit, but I really like to support the guests, like buy his book. But I like that it's someone who has a lot of experience in this realm can still get something out of it because I was learning things and picking things up in there. And I'm pretty that, familiar that, with a that, lot of this. That makes me feel good. No, you, you did coaching with me but when then, you were getting started. Like you know yeah. a lot of stuff, maybe but, more, than, more than many. But yeah. I think someone who knows nothing about any of this could also pick up the book and, and have a way to navigate making some, some big changes. So yeah, thank you for, for that person. Yeah, yeah. So thanks for cranking out the books like you do. You're inspiring to, to me and so many people. Oh, thanks, um, so, you know, based on your productivity alone, you must be doing something right. Cause <laughs> you got a lot going on. So I appreciate it, dude. All right. Thanks, man. All right. Well, that one was a trip, huh? I told you we covered a lot of uncharted terrain on this one. And I had a lot of fun shooting the shit with Dave. And I got to say, I respect his tenacity and prolific approach to content creation. And I'm glad we got to drift off script a bit here. And I trust that you are too. If you want to snag some of Dave's new coffee, it's definitely worth checking out. I did uh, an experiment today and had a morning cup followed by another at noon and uh, man, my brain is smoking. I'm super into it. So hit up dangercoffee.com slash Luke and use the code Luke to get 10% off. Now, in keeping with the tradition of contrarian guest views, next week's episode welcomes back J.P. Sears to the show for episode 463. It's called Finding Humor in the Horror and Turning the Great Reset into the Great Awakening. If you know JP's work in the comedy realm, you're going to love next week's drop-in. We get into the weeds of psychology, spirituality, and why in the hell he's so in love with freedom. 
And the JP episode does, of course, offer a healthy dose of comic relief. But I got to say, JP can really bring the heat in terms of understanding the human condition as well. And I really enjoyed getting to know the deeper side of him and his work during that interview. And I'll also add, if you're someone who finds JP's work triggering and opposed to your perspective, I encourage you to tune in even more because we get to see a side of him that isn't front and center in his comedy content. You never know, you might just learn something. So you know what to do now. Hit that follow or subscribe button on your podcast app so JP's episode hits the top of your feed next Tuesday. And until then, may you be blessed in every way. And thank you so much for joining me on this journey called the Lifestylist Podcast. Podcast.